These men come down here from New York and from Florida to, to find out my reasons on rock and roll music and why I preach against it, and I believe with all of my heart that it is a contributing factor to our juvenile delinquency of today. I 100% believe it. Why I believe that is because I know how it feels when you sing it. I know what it does to you. And I, I know uh, the evil feeling that you feel when you sing it. I know the, the, the lost position that you get into in the beat. Well, uh, if you talk to the average teenager of today and you ask them what it is about rock and roll music that they like, and they'll, the first thing they'll say is the beat, the beat, the beat. As you can hear, ladies and gentlemen, um, Blake is just taken out of the um, the plastic. He's brought with him. Uh, uh, it's like he had two six shooters on him in his pockets, <laughs> and he took out out of his. Yeah, it was early. he's Good like, I, I brought these bad boys with me. He's brought the the novelization. It looks like the original novelization of Greece, and also uh, I don't know the if you guys. Novel. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't know if you guys can guess what else. Not <laughs> no, that you can really guess. Sorry, sorry. I blew the. I blew the uh, he brought the photo novel with him. The F O three hundred. Color pictures from the hit movie. Uh, photo spelled F-O-T-O-N-O-V-E-L. If you guys don't know photo novels, um, we did a whole podcast on it. Pa- podcast on it that we don't think we've we've reissued here, but um, it's a good little side venture to at some point talk about. But he brought those two uh, for the movie we're doing this week. So, uh, and I think that I already say what the movie was. I think I did say it's Grease. Grease. Photo novel for those interested. It's like a comic book. But this, it's the size of like a small paperback novel, and they use photos from the film, st- like stills from the film. But then they kind of do it as a comic book form. It's amazing. It's uh, they they even it, it takes a lot of songs. <laughs> in case you wanted to sing along. And it's it's pretty exciting though the photos they pick too. It's all it's all like the old days of doing like uh, magazines. You cut out with photos and you put like blurbs in. It's instead of like a comic book, except uh, done with actual photos, set stills, which is amazing. The reason why I bought those was. One, I like Greece. Two, I collect those things. And three, I thought it was hilarious to have like novelization or like print copies of like a, 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 a musical. musical. <laughs> have you read them? Have you done your homework? I've flipped through them. The uh, the the, novelza- you, you, the novelization is actually a pretty recent edition. Oh, okay. I think when we started talking about doing it, it looks like unless you you've you've palmed it quite a bit and had it in your back pocket, it looks all it looks era well it's well <laughs> period it's well loved yeah by whoever owned it before me oh does it say it's all is somebody's name in it i wish oh, <laughs> oh you know what i, I did when i have those. to give uh, everyone an update um from i don't know when that story was we did it but i, I went talked the story about where i went to the book sh- sale and i found the 20 dollars and mm-hmm. we ended up spending that money uh my, my wife's like Go use it. What's going to ask that we talk about that? Um, it was at the beginning. It could have been the beginning of the summer or the spring. For the people that have no idea what the, the story is. I went to a, a, a local <laughs> book sale <laughs> at a library. full story, but we told this story yeah. on a, a, a po- At the beginning of one of our podcasts, and I bought a whole bunch of books, and inside One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest was an unopened envelope to somebody, and then it had never been opened. I was like, oh, my gosh. And so I was really skeptical and cautious. I opened it up, and inside was like a teenage note and a $20 bill. It was like, happy birthday. I had a great time with you. And it was obviously a guy who was like, had a crush on this girl, and it was all, uh, you know, I, I 
I think read it verbatim on whatever cast it was. Yeah, so, yeah. and then I said, I was like, I don't know if I could spend this money because it was clearly meant for somebody else. Did you, did, I forget, maybe we thought, like, did you ever look to see like what year the bill was? Uh, it was, it was a new bill. Yeah, we talked about this all in the cast. It was, <laughs> it was a, it was like a 2000 post 2001 bill, you know, when they did the big change okay, over those yeah, bills. Yeah. So, so it's it, not that old, but I mean, if it was the year that bill came out, it could be like 15 years old, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean the guy was, if I remember correctly, he was quoting, um, I like big butts and I cannot lie. So it makes a lot of them. Well, that's what threw us. Yeah, that's what that's what threw us. And I was like, no, but the bill—it's a new bill, so it's uh, you know, twenty dollars. So I, I did spend that, but I thought maybe you were gonna flip through one of these photo albums. Yeah. That was our joke that we were gonna find like you know, it's gonna be like he was killing women and he was leaving them. <laughs> and it was gonna turn into that movie where he's like, you know, went to the dark side. Yeah, that, that what, uh, we'll have to think of. We could have went that with was. like treasure map. No, it was like he adventure. Was, he was but no, we went with this. He was murdering <laughs> women that were that, that and, and it was it was only because he if he can only if these women got these notes. So, but um, we are here for another exciting edition of Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Uh, I'm Dion Baya, and I'm Jay Blake, and together we are a Saturday Night Movie <laughs> Sleepovers. Sleepovers. <laughs> <laughs> what did I say last week? Blue Falcon and Dog Wonder. <laughs> Blue Falcon. No, you. It was, it was the opposite. I said Dog Falcon and Blue Wonder. There we go. Falcon. That was our code names for cruising. <laughs> but uh, speaking of cruising, we're ending the summer. This is the the summer has ended or it is ending. We're hitting Labor Day. Um, back to school, baby. Back to school. And what better movie to do uh, back to school than Greece? Um, you and I. I had, don't know. Maybe there's a better one. I'm sure there's seemed ba- like back to school. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe back to school, for instance. Yeah, or any other one of those back to. But school But it seemed movies. like a good choice because yeah, even though the whole film spans an entire school year. It opens with... The, Which is with curious, because stuff. I didn't realize that until, like, the last scene. They're like, thank you very much. And it's like, I thought it was only October. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it burns. You know, right it flies, because they're talking... One, thing, one point, they're talking about Christmas, and the next thing you know, it's like, they're like, you know, oh, it's, you know, the summer's over. Um, well, yeah. Well, the big one f- jump for me, and this is obviously... We're getting a little it's, forward it's, it's getting It's getting into, uh, getting into it a little bit. Is like, the one, the one girl... Uh, Patty Simcox, she, yeah. she says to uh, Sandy, like you should, she should try out for the cheerleader team. And then, yeah. like the next scene is she's like home, cheer- it's like homecoming or something, and she's a cheerleader. Yeah, she's at the pep rally or whatever. Yeah, that yeah. Was. yeah okay, you're right. Yeah, so it's it, like it does, like, it does travel pretty quickly. <laughs> well, I just got, got a little. I mean, it's an, enti- yeah. an entire school year <laughs> wrapped up in like hundred in, in, in a yeah eighty eight or hundred ten uh, minute movie. Um, do we should we bring up what we did this past weekend? Yeah, sure. I mean, we just fucking jumped right in because I yeah, because I I, I, I I hit play a play. I hit record because it was we were we were <laughs> was, we were, were on fire. Yeah, we, we we already talked about three different things that could have been amazing that if we if we burned them to acetate. But so we, I figured you, I had to start we, this we jumped right early. in on this yeah. one. There was no preemptive we ramble, in. Um, and we're just trying to swim. Uh, we celebrated Star Trek, the fiftieth anniversary of the Star Trek uh, original series, and I guess Star Trek itself. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Unless, I mean, you know. technically not, yeah, but, but it's a celebration of Star Trek as a thing. Yeah. Uh, Our first Star Trek Star convention. Yeah, it was I've Star Trek to, missions. I've been to like a million conventions. Was that I, your first Star Trek but convention? But I had never been to a Star Trek convention. That's actually, that, that's hilarious you frame it that way, because as I look, I, it was th- four days ago, and now I'm thinking like, that is, it was a Star Trek convention. <laughs> You're right. It yeah. was a Star Trek. Uh, that's why people were dressed. I up think like what Star happens Trek. is it's it's the first convention, if I'm not mistaken, was in New York in like '76 or '77. Yeah, yeah. And then once it gained momentum, they never really were back in New York, or if they were, they were rather 
smaller ones, but the big ones have always been in Vegas. Those are where the... the uh, well, they have them all over. Cherry Hill, a couple of years, I'd say 10 years ago, there was a Cherry Hill one that was really big, and uh, I always regretted not going. But uh, it was a little far. I was broke. It yeah, was very yeah. expensive. Of course. I, wasn't, I didn't have a job at the time. Yeah, it's hard to get out there just <laughs> holding your thumb out there. <laughs> that and it was like a lot of money to get yeah. in. And well, that, you, same with this one. you want to do it, you want to get You want to do it right and, and all that kind of stuff. And it, just, you get a, it gets exhausting. Um, but I guess the big ones are always out of Vegas. So they, they determined for whatever reason they were going to have the 50th one. Well, I think, yeah. This maybe to honor the first one that I was think in New York. It's going to continue. Many of them coming up. Yeah, yeah. But like this is this wasn't like the only. No, it's, it's kicking off one, like a this tour series, I guess. And it was at the Javits Center in New York City, which is a place where they have the Comic Cons and all on the West Side. And I'd never been to the Javits Center before. Um, we went on different days. You, you, it was a what a three day event, and you went yeah. on the Saturday, I went on the Sunday, yeah. and uh, we split it up. So, yeah, so yeah, we cover, we cover everything because not everybody <laughs> was there the same days. Yeah, yeah. I know. I was so bummed. I always go on Sundays to these kinds of things. Yes, yeah. I've always gone on Sundays, and then it's the first Star Trek convention I've ever been to. Lifelong Star Trek fan. Yeah, you are. Uh, true story. When I first met Blake, um, when we were. Um, Shared a room together freshman year. We were at like the orientation, one of the classes, and he pulled his wallet out and out fell like a. What were you? You weren't an ensign. You were like a commander. I still have a official federation. Yeah, yeah. He's going into his. That's what that was. What it was. <laughs> so I was like, wow, you're cool. Because back then, uh, you know, it wasn't like now. I feel like since like the phenomenon of. Uh, What's the show everyone loves? You know what I mean? With Sheldon and everybody. Oh, and, Big Bang Theory. Yeah, you know, it's, now nerds are kind of like mainstream. It's okay to be a nerd. And not to say that Star Trek is nerdish, but in the late 90s when we met each other, it was kind of like, oh, you're cool. You're tra-. A lot of my friends now that are Trekkies only discovered it like 10, 5 years ago. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're going back and revisiting Next and Generation. I was literally a card-carrying <laughs> yeah. nerd. Yeah, and I was like far I out. literally had a Star Trek card. Yeah, that. I had seen one of the original movies in the theater. You had seen one of the original movies. In, I'd you? seen a bunch of them. Yeah. I like, I saw three. I saw four. four and five. I the saw, uh, I missed five because five flopped so quickly. I remember my dad took me to see five. Yeah, I remember we always talk about that summer of 89. And that, that, that came and went in between Indiana Jones and uh, Batman. That, yeah. You know, and I don't. I didn't see six in the theater, and uh, I saw Insurrection in the theater. I don't know if there's another one. I, I remember saw seeing generation. Star Trek three down the shore in Wildwood, New Jersey. Yeah, and it was me and my mom, and I was so young that I couldn't read the Klingon subtitles fast enough. Oh, okay. So my mom's like leaning over, like trying to whisper them to me. <laughs> Christopher <laughs> Lloyd says that he's well, gonna I kill can everyone. See who's talking? She's just <laughs> yeah, she's doing it for the visually impaired. <laughs> he so sat, well. he sits down. He relaxes. He's angry. His leather creaks. He leans in with a with a, <laughs> a shaky hand. Um. So yeah. So we had that in common. So uh, cut to uh, and we both loved six. Uh, yeah, I'm a huge proponent of I six. I think we at the time. I don't think it was like after. I thought you leaned a little more to two, no? No, I've always been like two and six are kind of a throw up, you know, like yeah, a toss yeah, yeah. up. I me. will admit that six does kind of, and maybe in between the, the second and third act, it kind of gets a little long winded. But I do remember that right off the start. I love six. That you and I had a kinship <laughs> with with a love for Star Trek. So yeah, and then the uh, discovered country. And you were did you you grew up watching the original show as well? Oh, yeah, my mom was a bit of a bit of a Trekkie. Yeah, we had shirts. Wow, 
I just bought my first shirt this weekend. We had like real deal that's shirts when I was little. And then. And that's like, that's pretty hardcore because that's the 80s. And I'm going to venture to say yeah. that's prior to she 87. bought when, them in the 70s. They were probably, she probably like bought them for my brother. Yeah. And then you just hit hand me down. And then, yeah. Then I got them handed yeah, down. Mustard all dried on it. And all that. <laughs> you know, you're a proper red shirt. They were like real deal. But, and that's probably prior then, to like, next generation. Halloween of. Halloween of 88. Okay. I went as Spock. Look at you. Wow. That's pretty. Picture somewhere. That's pretty hardcore. Yeah, you we'll have enough time to flip it, flip it around, and enough time to <laughs> turn it around. But yeah, so Star Trek. So we went. We went to the convention. We went different days, and uh, I took my wife along. And she, uh, I originally got the tickets for Saturday, and she, within two seconds, she's like, "You're effing idiot! I want to go Sunday because Shatner's going to be there." I'm like, yeah, well, "Honey, well, that's the that's the that's where I was getting I, at. Is I always go Sunday. Yeah, and I bought the tickets like the 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 day they went on sale. Yeah, yeah." And then they ended up announcing that Shatner was only coming on Sunday after I had already bought Saturday tickets. I was like, you know what? Star Trek's my first convention. Fuck it. I'm going to go Saturday instead of Sunday. And then Sunday ended up being the day that Shatner So we must have waited because she knew already. And she said, I want to go Sunday. And I'm like, honey, what are the odds you're going to meet Shatner? You know I mean? She's like, I don't care. We're going to go. So uh, I called right up and I got, it was the firm in Stanford, Connecticut. And I talked to this really nice kid and they were so lovely about it. I was like, listen, I want to go. I just need to switch. I know you guys don't usually do this. He's like, okay, yeah, we don't usually, but sure, we'll, you know, and, and he worked it out, and I returned the Saturdays. I got the Sunday, same price, whatever, and it was uh, it was a lot of money. I, I, I was, uh, as I've been doing a postmortem with my wife about this, I was thinking, like, it would have been nice with the money you spent on the tickets that once you got in, maybe you had a free, everything costs money there. To cease to, to have somebody uh, sign something, it costs money. To have somebody take a picture, it costs money. No selfies were, uh, you know, everything, to, you know, it was four seventy five for a Coke, talking about falling down our last podcast. <laughs> and uh, and I literally was like, you kidding me? And I lock, walked Did away. Did you have a Star Trek beer? I didn't. No, because they weren't, they weren't giving them out. They said, we can't have them here. They were just displays. Unless oh, they had them at the They thing. had them at the concession Oh, I didn't know. When I had it, the, the only had was like, I just grabbed like a blue the guy or something. Like, they have them over at the concession stand. Yeah, I didn't have it. Oh, I saw that they have them at um, Whole Foods, but uh, so you can get them there. I was like, oh, okay, that's good. Uh, but I, we, th- I thought you should have got something with your, uh, with you know, with or your just not. Entries. I don't remember how much it was. I just remember it was like, it yeah, because it was, it was so long ago. It was we we bought them in like April or May, so yeah, it was. Yeah. I'm gonna say it was probably like sixty to seventy, I, sixty and eighty five dollars. Yeah, I remember it was. You know? My recollection wasn't wasn't cheaper than Comic Con. No, and it was, that was a day pass. That wasn't like a three day pass. <laughs> and Comic Con is about f- five times bigger than this was. Yeah, this was quite small for what it was. Comic Con takes up the entire Javits Center. Javits Center. And that's huge. Whereas the Star Trek convention pretty much only took up the area for the, in the Javits Center that the artist alley is usually in. Yeah. Those New Yorkers that have been to the they, New York they Comic-Con. split it up. So they try to like just like split up and kind of just flatten out everything so you had to walk to different areas but it literally was quite small so and i'm surprised it didn't have other venues for the most part about 90 percent of all the vendors there were star trek related i'm surprised they didn't have a little more yeah, esoteric yeah. you know sci-fi related stuff saying maybe not yeah, so much yeah. horror but i mean it was a f- it was fun 
I'll but tell it you, was a little pricey for what it actually. Uh, yeah, for for paying. what we ended up spending on stuff, and I had, there was stuff I had to do. She wanted to meet Shatner, but then at the end of the day, you know, we didn't want to spend it. We, when you get there, you figure out how much it is. I think it was eighty bucks for him to sign something, maybe eighty-two to get a picture with him, and everybody there was for forty up, sixty dollars to yeah, get a yeah. picture, forty, sixty dollars to get something signed. So we were like, eh. And she likes the orange is the new black. So um, oh, Kate yeah. Mulgrew, Mul- Mul- yeah. she's in that. So she's like, can I get? I was like, honey, you have your own money. You can do what you want. So we got that. So then we went around. We did all the kind of stuff. We saw people lined up. We saw who was there. And then near the end of the the, the end of the day, they gave you times. Tell Kate Mulgrew how much we uh, loved, loved her in Remo. Remo Willie. <laughs> I uh, no, I didn't have time because that was like a literally was like a cattle call. podcast about Remo. Uh, so near the end of the day, they give you times. You buy your ticket to go take a picture with them. And then what the, what they end up doing is they just have them uh, cordoned off like in a in a black like uh, draped area, and you just go in a line, and they just have a professional photographer up. It's like bing next smile bing next smile so you have no time with them and you even feel bad saying something because there's a line out the wazoo yeah, that yeah. Are behind you and in front of you so, and then everything costs money you want a digital copy ten dollars extra so it's like end up paying 75 dollars for the thing so they give you a time when the queue up they say like 345 start queuing up if you want to you know get this picture whatever so near the end of the day when we were about ready to do that all the lines had dis- uh, dis- uh, dissipated uh from where all the uh, famous people were so I see Peter Weller sitting there by himself. I'm like, it's freaking Peter Weller. You know, I didn't bring, I didn't think to bring anything. I saw he was going to be there, but I didn't think yeah, maybe yeah. would it be wrong if I brought a Robocop thing, but he's got a big F off Robocop. He's the only one him. that had like a picture to my recollection that had a picture that wasn't Star Trek related. Yeah. He had, he had the Robocop, had the Robocop you know, so you him. walk up to him. He's, he's by himself. Um, he went, Hello. Yeah. And I said, you know, and I, I got into a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> he knew me already. He's like, well, you know, yeah, drop it. it becomes, yeah, it becomes r- real meta. He's like, hello. They're all alive. You're coming with me. I was like, wow, you say all the lines. <laughs> you're like, like a pull string. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> a string you're like a t- on his back. You pull yeah, it you're like a talking all. Tina Dow. Uh, no, I went up to him and, you know, Blake knows my angle. I always go around the counter punch and I See, tell him something. It never would have occurred to me. That's where, like, you and I differ. Like, you're a little more adventurous, a little more. It never would have occurred to me to go up in that setting. Yeah. And just and say just something. And just talk to them without paying them <laughs> well that's what I, I that was my thing i said to my wife I was like i can't it's not like justify the, it's not like in the convention you know you go to a horror convention there's usually a, like a an autograph section but then every once in a while you'll get somebody that has a table like in the like yeah savini, in, the, in the room like savini will yeah. be like in the exhibitor room. so you can walk around so you, you walk can buy around, stuff you can, talk you to him talk, yes talk to these savini. were all real regimented it's like lines. it's a line and yeah. just because there's nobody in the line, it never would have occurred. Yeah, to well, me they, had, they had they had everything I saw taped him off. And nobody was talking to him, and I could have gone up and talked to him, but it never would have occurred. Well, to I me said to, said to myself, up. I was like, "Honey, do you think it'd be?" I said to Blake, "I go, honey, do you think <laughs> do you think it'd be wrong if I just go want to shake his hand and just say, hey, listen, does it cost something to shake your hand?'" She's like, "No, go do it." And then, so the whole day, I've been saying this, and then finally, I forget about it. I get there, and it's like there. And I, so I walk up to him, and it, my, my way about doing stuff is I always try to mention something that I like that maybe not everyone will mention. Like when I met Shatner originally, I said to him I loved him in uh, Devil's Reign, or I loved his uh, Studio One performance with Steve McQueen and Ralph Bellamy. So I go to uh, Weller, I go, sir, uh, I just want to say I'm a huge fan of yours. I'm sorry to bother you. And I brought up the History Channel thing. Remember that? Mm-hmm. You actually had a mutual admiration for it as well, that History yeah, Channel yeah. Well, thing. I'm a big, like, Egyptian guy. Yeah, in the early 2000s, he kind of quit acting for a minute. He has a PhD in uh, Italian Renaissance, and he got some other stuff, credentials, and he was teaching, I think, like, in Ithaca or Utica, New York, 
uh, history class, and then History Channel picked them up, and they did a couple episodes, maybe, and this one was an Egyptian-related, just history yeah, about, like, the like Egyptians and pyramids. Egypt. Yeah, and it was hosted by Peter Well, and he's there, and he's doing all this thing, and it was great. So I went to him, I was like, I wanted to just tell you how much I appreciated that. That was, he's like, oh, really? He's like, thanks, man. And he's like, yeah, it was a great time, and I asked him, like, so do you teach? I heard a time, and he was like, so he went to the spiel with, uh, you know, I, I have a PhD, and I went to this, and I was like, and he goes, sadly now, he's like, Hist the History Channel don't want it anymore. All they want is like ice road truckers and reality shows. They don't teach anything. And then me, you know, me, I'm like, well, I got, let me get on my soap stand. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, I was like, well, tell me about it. I was like, you know, I would have. Uh, there's always been this know, rumor. I don't know. If I assume it's true, but there's always been this rumor that at some point, maybe in the '80s, that he and Jeff Goldblum were in a jazz band together. Oh, I didn't know that. I would have brought that up in a second. That was like the Cronenberg actor troupe. Yeah, jazz right there. The, the, yeah. Well, he had. Then I, well, I, they're both in. Buckaroo Bond. Yeah, and when I started to realize, take my eyes off him and relax a little bit more, I was able to look, and he had like eight by tens of uh, Naked Lunch, and he had like Robocop, and he had some other things that you can purchase right at the table. So I didn't want to hold him up too much because, you know, I was the only one standing there, and he had his like assistant with him that was maybe, you know, dealing with the money. Yeah. And uh, I said, listen, I just want to say, I'm just a big fan, and thank you very much. He goes, what's your name, man? I go, Dion. He goes, Dion, pleasure to meet you. And then I, I shook his hand, I go, thanks, Peter. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Like I sound like it, yeah. So uh, instead of saying Mr. Weller, and then he goes, Dion, have a beautiful day. And I go, you too, Mr. Weller. Thank you. And I walked away, and my wife's like, I stuck a few pictures. Like, you're going to get us kicked out of here. And I was like, kicked out of here, you son of a. She's like, why would you hit me? <laughs> that didn't happen. She hit me. She's like, shut up. Because she did that. She went and got pictures of Shatner. She's like, I'll just play dumb. So she went and got some pictures. Because at that point, we didn't. So at the end of it, I was such on a high that I met Weller. Yeah. I was like, honey. And I looked. There's no line for Shatner. I was like, you want to go say something to him? And she's like, no, I don't. I don't want to. That'd be so embarrassing. I can't do that. You got to pay. So I was like, screw it. Oh, you want you want a Shatner? $80. Pick which one you want. Take the yeah. T.J. Hogan. Have you sign your tits. Yeah. Go, he'll love that. <laughs> you know? So yeah, she went up and said something. And then as we started saying something, and she brought up Kingdom of the Spiders, the, sh the movie we all watched oh, yeah. together. It was, uh, it, was a, it was a sleepover. Yeah, it was a sleepover. <laughs> sleepover the, the buyout. Yeah, the three of us and, and our dog Babe watched uh, Kingdom of the Spiders. And um, some little guy came up and just interjected. And was like, I need you to sign this too. And he's like, what? And it's like, I guess it would, they've been having this, this back and forth the entire day. And he kind of like circumvented us. I'm like, uh, so, you know, it got a little awkward. And she said, thank you very much. I loved you. And, and you know, Kingdom of Spiders. He goes, uh, that scared. She said, that scared me, Kingdom of Spiders. You know, and he's like, it scared me too. And then we left. And she was like, can you believe that freaking guy? That was my mo $80. That was my moment. So it got into that. So uh, we're going on a bit about this. But it was like, I think the takeaway of it, it was just, it was a shame that it was so much freaking money. And yeah. it goes to like, for me, like the globalization or the... Uh, you know, you, you can't even go to like a ballpark anymore. And like, you know, everything it seems now is made for like corporate. So I can't imagine like, you know, your mom saying taking you and your brother when you're little there and paying today's prices and no, how much, no, no, you know, no. I mean, and, my, my dad and my dad used to take me to comic book conventions back then. But that was, but was can you tiny. imagine if you were like, I want to meet all these people or, or you were the parents like, no, you know what? You're you're a bona fide fan, son. I'm going to have you meet everybody and you shell out. You know, individual or the cast photo, which was like a hundred eighty dollars, probably for all four of them there. You know, it was it was ridiculous. So I had a good time for my because I've never been to a comic con. You know, I've only gone to those smaller venues with you. You know, because I just don't like. They're a little the, more fun, actually. Do you think? I just don't like how everything. I go to Comic Con every year, and then every year I'm like, I'm not doing this next year. And then every year <laughs> I go again. Yeah, I mean, and I, I and I end up spending most of the day in the artist alley because the other room is just too intense. That's what too I'm, that, many people. I think I can maybe do it, but it's just I don't like. To me, it's disrespectful and it's stupid. My 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 point, but I just think it's like, it's Comic Con. It should be about the comic. It shouldn't be about the new movies coming out, the new video games coming out. These 
freaking colloquiums about you know the new whatever it's it should be about the comic books and the comic artists like artist alley so maybe we will go but uh so we had a good time what did you think same kind of a thing it was too expensive but it was fun it it should have been like 30 bucks to get in yeah or they should have like you said given you like with your admission you get pick pick up pick a picture or an autograph of your choice here's a coupon or should have been much cheaper i wanted to go talk to gates mcfadden about our uh labyrinth connection but i didn't have the the balls you know, we got oh, all, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I was going to, because, you know, she's in the she, making of, and she helped choreograph yeah. a lot of the stuff with Jim Henson. So, but we did go talk to LeVar Burton and my wife was like, I had a big crush on you growing up. And she's like, thank you very much. And then I was like, I love you in the Hunter. Hunter. He's like, oh, Steve McQueen's last movie. I was like, no, he was great. You know, <laughs> so you, you, you were awesome. <laughs> yeah. Say your name. Say your name for me. <laughs> so I'm going to go read a book, reading Rainbow. Well, anyway, so Star Trek, the motion picture came out in 1979. Yes. Yes. But a year before that. Yes. And, and from, is it summer, from the same uh, summer loving? <laughs> is it's from the same um, movie? Isn't is Paramount as well? Uh, Star know. Trek. I'm not, Star Trek is Paramount. Yeah. This is Paramount. So the summer before Star Trek: The Motion Picture came out, everybody was Paramount. Grease Lightning. Ooh, yes. Uh, and this is interesting. The uh, now we're crossing over 25 minutes into the cast. <laughs> <laughs> To the topic of why, uh, so uh, digress. yeah, uh, our detractors are like hey, sorry to, uh, in advance. Yeah. Don't message us on Facebook. We're sorry, um, complaining that it took us. Yeah, imagine people like girls. I don't. I hate <laughs> fucking Star Trek, and they hit play, and it's like, <gasps> where's Chris Lightning? Uh, <laughs> you should put like, a disclaimer. Yeah, at the beginning, be like, if you want to skip the Star Trek, <laughs> yeah, go to five minutes in. Just give them a completely wrong, <laughs> wrong number. <laughs> Go go thirty seconds in, and we're done with it. Um, this is an odd movie in a sense where I I didn't grow up with musicals as you did, mm-hmm. so I I was very curious. To, I was yeah, I knew looking you, you liked forward to talking to you, I'd like uh, my, about your discovery, my discovery, and how, my what led me here. You have always grown up in the classical Gene Kelly movie, much like again my wife to bring her up. Her yeah. first crush was Gene Kelly, so. Growing up, I watched, of course, The Wiz. I watched Willy Wonka. I watched uh, whatever big movies that were musicals. But then it wasn't until college that I first saw this with a girlfriend. I saw Labyrinth with a girlfriend. And those are probably the last times I saw it. Dirty Dancing was the first time I saw that. Because these were, you know, we've established I did guy movies. And I never, you know. So it's not that I... went straight from, like, Disney and Muppets to 70s cop drama. <laughs> yeah, 70s <laughs> cop movies and, and, and disturbing Went from Disney and, and the Muppets to Steve McQueen and, and Clint Eastwood. Yeah, and uh, that's interesting too because a very other part of my upbringing in from the musical sense was the firm foot in the Disney realm. So I grew up with all those musicals, live action as well as animated. But these movies were kind of perplexing to me. And then when I met my wife, she first loves Gene uh, Kelly. We went back and I've watched all these musicals that I've become like, I, I was like, how have I missed all this? How have I missed my fair lady? How have I missed, uh, you know, the court jester? It's like all these freaking movies, holiday Inn, the yeah, Bob yeah. Hope Bing crowd. We watched the whole, uh, row two series, you know, but you know, seven brides and seven, uh, brothers. brothers and stuff like that, which I just discovered on, uh, grit TV. There was a 1981 series TV show, 10 episodes of, uh, and it's a musical. And I stopped. And I was like, what the hell? And Richard Dean Anderson's in it. Prior MacGyver. He's oh, seven Brides for Seven Brothers? Yeah. The, yeah. the television the show? The television show. <laughs> Ten episodes. 
Yeah, it was insane. Huh. So I put it on for a series record, and I've got the first episode. They just must be playing it random, you know? And it was very, like, there was drama. One guy's an alcoholic, you know? But they were all, I turned on, they were dancing. I was like, so, um, so I never really had that upbringing with stuff like that, yeah. you know? So it was interesting to, then to, to come to this and then, you know... Uh, love the musicals like the MGM proper musicals and stuff but yeah, then yeah. these are, are well, much this, different this movie wasn't a movie that like I discovered because of my mom or you know classic movies this was something that oddly enough my friends the friends that I developed in junior high and then in high school they were into it yeah we talked about I you mean, saying and Grease 2 yeah I was saying they, you they would rent Grease 2 a lot but they would also rent this one and that's how I kind of got into it this is fun that like if we have listeners that have listened to the entire our catalog yeah. they'll remember these because I just listened to something recently we did and I can't remember what the hell it was but you brought that up like your new f- f- uh, friends maybe it was the movie we were doing was that's how you first saw it and you're like and oddly enough that uh, yeah. fraction of friends re- rented Grease 2 a lot <laughs> <laughs> they would rent Grease to With a bucket of w- pizza. But they would also rent this one. And so that's how I kind of got into it. So I don't know, maybe ninth grade, tenth grade. Was your first exposure saw to saw this it. for the first time. Yeah. And it, I was, I, I was kind of into it. And then freshman year, uh, you, College. Had a, you had a friend, and, I, and then I became friends with them, Brian. Spell, oh, yes. Brian Spell. Yeah. Shout out. Yeah. And to this day, if I... Was to just if I texted Brian right now, oh, with like a couple of H's after he would know exactly what I was talking about because he also liked this movie, and so he and I would we bonded over our mutual love for Star Wars and for Greece on my on my couch on your, on your freshman film. <laughs> yeah, we did we did a freshman film, and at the time, this guy was my girlfriend's roommate's boyfriend. If you can follow that, yeah. I needed a lead. I said, "Can you act? Great, we're going." So we shot the thing up in Connecticut, my freshman film, and uh, you you were the the uh, the cinematographer for it, and with our little shitty Bolex. Yeah, yeah. And you know, and uh, I remember that one night I went to bed. You guys slept in the living room on the two couches. And you said the entire night you talk Star Wars and freaking <laughs> you know laughing that's much like how you and yeah, I bonded yeah. originally yeah, talking yeah. about the guy down the hall you know and uh, so he and I would talk about Greece and there's this moment at the end of uh, Summer Lovin yeah when it's, they have like, oh. the split screen with the two of them and it's just before it ends and John Travolta goes oh yeah and so we would always do that and that's the one time he cracked on your set was he was supposed to be like listening to the radio in the pizza place and there was no sound. It was silent. Yeah, and, and I just went, oh. <laughs> <He> started laughing. <laughs> and that's hilarious. That's and a, then we that's would always f- laugh. That's a 20-year throwback right there. <laughs> and then he, we, we would always talk. We'd always laugh and do, at the at the very end of that song, is somehow John Travolta sings higher than Olivia. Nah. Yeah. He hits that. He hits like <laughs> he a. It's like super high falsetto. And we would always sit there and do that. So, uh, good times, Grease. Good times, Did you ever watch one these? I don't think we ever watched it together. Yeah, right now. We were yeah. just always talking about it. But so I, I can guarantee if I just texted him, oh, right now, he would. You'd get, you'd get, he he'd would, get an answer back. Yeah, he it's would too know. late in the evening to actually, I think, do it now. But that'd be interesting. Know, it would be great <laughs> if you could have. And we said, we can just lie and say, text him. <laughs> but we'll, I know he would know exactly what um, I was talking about. And then when we were in college, it was right around the time that they had their, this movie had the 20-year yeah. uh, anniversary. And which was very interesting as well, is they released a club mix of Summer Loving. And I, yeah, I think yeah. it was actually a medley. It was a medley. Of actually, like Grease Lighting and all that. And it, so that played everywhere. So I that kind of permeated. It came out in a, there was a widescreen VHS copy. 
for the, of the 20th like the anniversary yeah. edition for the 1998 20th anniversary and with the VHS came a CD single of that mix. Yeah. It was a medley of like four of the songs. Yeah, it was like Grease Lightning that and and uh and a little copy of the script. Wow. It was like four. Where the hell there. is that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny the trip when I went home and oh, I, I oh. had been bringing things yeah, from things home. for the for the summer that was for our summer cast. I found it yeah. and I ended up leaving it with like a box to then bring to my house at a later date. Oh, so it's sitting there ready, so primed like, and ready to go. <laughs> I was like going through the bag. I was like, did I bring the grease thing home? Because I'll bring <laughs> no. that. No. And, and me and Dion can read through the script. We, we can, can actually do a, go li- line <laughs> for line. We can do a table reading. Actually, we probably could with oh, with pretty the, with, much with the, with the photo novel. With the photo novel. Uh, if you a, guys don't, go research. It's too much to get into now since we spent an hour and a half on Star Trek. But if you don't know the phenomenon of photo novels, it's a really lost art, which is just, it's like They actually didn't make too many of them. Uh, the actual brand. And when Blake gets a hard-on for something, he probably has the entire run of every photo I novel. almost have all of them. There's a, yeah. There was a handful of Star Trek episodes. Yeah. 1978. It is our connection. That's why we brought Star <laughs> Trek up. <laughs> I should have brought those, too. Yeah. Uh, 1978 remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yes, yes. I remember that. Letter need more Star Trek. Rocky two. Doesn't have anything to Star Trek, but, but you a, said then there's like the first twenty pages, first like, like ten the, to fifteen pages is a, is are a recap of Rocky One. Just so you, if you didn't know, and it just flows right into Rocky Two. They didn't make this the brand photo novel, quote unquote. Didn't make a whole lot of them, but I probably have most of them. That's great. I mean, it's such a lost art. It's something like you know, you give to like a kid, like four or five year old. It's it's. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I always think about that. Once I have kids, I want to get let them play with all my things, and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm more anal than you know I've ever been. So how yeah, would I? Yeah. Don't you don't touch. What are you doing? So you may have to rebuy everything on eBay. So but, this was what maybe the second time you've ever seen this movie. This might have been the second or third time I've ever seen it. Yeah, and, but I do have to say I did watch the. Grease live show that was on about a year ago yeah, of this five, recording yeah, five, and I have to say uh, I missed the Sound of Music one which I heard was really good I have the Peter Pan one but I haven't watched it yet which I heard Pan. wasn't very good yeah <laughs> but I want to see it just Peter, because of, what are you doing? Christopher Walken like Barry, now wow <laughs> listen Peter <laughs> Peter picked a Viper yeah anyway um but then I watched this one, and uh, I didn't want to watch it, but my wife's like, we have to watch it. I'm so in it. I was like, come on, we're going to watch And then we got stuck on it. And I have to say how impressed I was technically what they did. It was, I mean, I'll agree. It was very impressive what they pulled off. Yeah. The question in my mind was, why? <laughs> yeah. If you're going to shoot it to be pretty much as close to the movie as possible, why? just show the movie. Yeah, yeah. I think they wanted to, you know, it's one of these things they want to... You know, bring new audiences to do something different. Everybody that they could do it. Yeah, and then uh, and I think they accomplished it. Like the 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 scenes with the grease lightning part, the scene at the end when they have the actual race is amazing. How they did all that live, like with the cars not moving. And for me, just working in the the television industry to see the whole setup of them walking into the set where they're like in the lobby of the of the gym. They open the doors all in one take because they have a steady cam operator following them. They go into the gym where they have like the dance off with the uh, uh, national bandstand, I think it's called, yeah. and Mario Lopez hosting, and doing that whole sequence with uh, 
you know, the, the period cameras on pedal, pedestals going around as well as the steady cam. I think it was amazing yeah. how they well, it accomplished all It was that. an impressive you know? feat, but it was one of those things of like... Yeah, why, why you do it? I'm not really sure you know? why you needed and to And, you know, <laughs> I was impressed. They added a song in. They had, well, I forget at the time, they had one of the girls sing a song. I didn't do any research on, on the, the, the stage version. I did. But I wonder if that was a song from the original stage version. And then the, I liked the new take they did on the um, Beauty School Dropout. I thought that was really clever how they did that uh, I forget who they had the, the duo or the one guy they did it mm-hmm. the sequence so I, I was really impressed by it but you know um, why did we even bring that up well we're doing Greece but it All was right. yeah, good night folks yeah, good night. <laughs> see you <I> <laughs> but I saw it was, it was impressed and then as well as you had some cameos from the original movie that came in there you know yeah. um, which is interesting but this is uh, pretty it's weird to think of the context of the time where it's like, you know, at that time we talked about, uh, we always bring up, we had the Irwin Allen disaster movies and Star Wars yeah. drops in 77. And then it's like, at that time you must think of what's going on. You have like, yeah, uh, on TV, you have like tr- uh, chips is on, you have this, you know. That and musicals had not been doing well. No, not at in all. The late 70s. I can't think of anything. I, I mean, mean, like movies that had soundtracks and stuff. Yeah. Like Saturday Night Fever. But yeah, that really wasn't really music. No, not when they're singing and dancing. I mean, they so had really a series of... So it really was a big gamble on, on the studio's part to go ahead and do that. Remember, they had the series of uh, That's Entertainment that they put out with like Gene Kelly and uh, maybe even um, uh, Fred Astaire hosting. And that was... I think they made like three of those movies and those were just basically wraparounds and them showing old footage. Yeah, and those yeah. were theatrical released and I, they, I guess they'd done so well they did three of them. So that was like... You know, I think that was that might have went into the eighties, but the first one and the second one are in the seventies. So it's it's I guess a gamble. Well, you have Phantom of Paradise that comes out the Palmas. Yeah, but I don't you know, think that did very well. I don't think so either. But that's a musical that's kind of on the map. Um, and I don't know if that's that might be is that pre carry maybe I don't know if that's pre carry. Mm, I don't know. And then I you guess, have I would think it's post carry. You think I so? Could be wrong. Uh, you have then you have Rocky Horror Picture Show comes out. Yeah. And uh, I don't recall off the top of my head what year that is, but I feel like it's right around this time or right, you know, after. So you have these, you have Bugsy Malone comes out, that's, which is really <laughs> huge. Well, to a certain extent, you know, audiences, Scott Bayo and uh, Jodie Foster, that's kind of a hit, Paul Williams. And then you have the Muppet movie in 79, which is kind of a musical, and that, that does well. So you have drips and drabs of musicals, and, and you still have... five was Rocky Horror. Okay, so there you go. And you still have on television, we're still doing the variety show. Yeah. So you still have like Sonny and Cher, or you still have like maybe the Osmonds. So you do have these venues that people are still enjoying music, you know, performances. But even, I think, the more interesting context for the movie, for, for Greece, is that it was based on a musical, stage, a stage yeah. musical that originally was written in 1971 and was uh, done in Chicago first. Yes. And I think what's interesting, what you have to take into consideration, because even watching the movie now, I point, there's so many things that, even for me and for, you know, there's a sleepover. There's, you know, there's so much nostalgia. Yeah, I was going to say, there is one more point we should make before you go on, is that what you've brought up in prior podcasts is, the nostalgic aspect of the 70s for the 50s. And you see that in Laverne and Shirley. You see that in Happy Days. People like us now, we have yeah. a nostalgia for our youth, which is, I guess, 80s and some people now going into the 90s. For the 70s into the 80s, it was of the 50s. It was prior to the Vietnam, prior to JFK getting assassinated, that golden Eisenhower era. Yeah, and uh, exactly. I mean, that's where I'm going. Yeah, is okay. that shit was fucked up in 1971. Yeah. You know, like the world... 
it had only been 10 years uh, since the, you know, just over 10 years since the 50s. I mean, they started working on it in the late 60s. Yeah. So it was only about a decade before they started. But the world had changed so much. Oh, yeah, the Vietnam I mean, War. You have the, the exactly. The, you have uh, civil rights. You have assassinations of uh, Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy. JFK was in '63. The world is like taking a shit. People are stuck. Politics. Nixon's in the administration. It, it gets in after uh, Johnson. So you have a lot of stuff going on. It's pre-Watergate. So it's like people are just and fed then also up. like culturally. I mean, it's the you Cold have the psycho- War, and you have the psychedelic stuff going on. You have yeah Woodstock, uh, uh, the the free love movement, peace and love kind of sh- shits and dies in seventy. And then in seventy and seventy one, you have the onslaught of like the feminist movement. You have like uh, the African Americans who were like uh, seeing the the civil rights people doing like, hey, we want we want to have it too. So you get into like the the swinging seventies free love, uh, you know, let's let's go disco party and let's do coke. Let's you know we're gonna just it's like the middle class well, people well, are coming that's out. That's a little bit after you know the, when the musical first started. But that's kind of my point is that it's a very nostalgic movie. Yeah, uh, you have the drive-in theaters, you have the dance, but you it have the not- carnival, you have the sleepovers. It's very. The, the you know this show Saturday Night Movie Sleepover is all about kind of childhood nostalgia yeah and and, and maybe not all about but it's there's that's a big part of it and so our our childhood nostalgia and or so older people this was for uh, Warren Casey and Jim Jacobs who wrote the the Broadway the, the show. original play the musical this was about being nostalgic for their teen this, yeah you know, they they were in high school in the fifties and it was like you know shit is so fucked up right now and even though it's only been a decade, just over a decade, and that does—that's not a big time. That's not a long time to make a nostalgic piece. Yeah, F- you know, f- to make a movie about a time to be nostalgic—that's not a big stretch of time. But the world had changed so much in those ten years. Yeah, that like we just want to look back at a time that was simpler. Well, it's it's after the uh, World War Two when everybody went to the suburbs, and you have that advent of the fifties where you had like the nuclear family. It's just you had that stability. You have that romanticism. You have that, you know, Dennis the Menace, Father Knows Best, uh, Hazel. You have all those shows until the 60s hit and everything just, you know, the yeah. world just Plus, takes a shit. the 50s was the birth of rock and roll. Yeah, and it was very Which prosperous. Which was the first time that American youths really had their own music. Yeah. That, um, that wasn't <clears throat> handed down by, you know, their parents or from other cultures and stuff. I mean, this is something that comes out that spearheads right out of like the uh, black blues and rhythm and blues and, and, and I guess some forms of jazz and it comes out through Elvis, Chuck Berry, all that, you know, basically like Pat Boone, the white guys at first redoing black guys. And then they're like, screw it. We'll have the black guys do it themselves. And that comes out. And I have myself for some reason, maybe because we grew up in the eighties and a lot of these shows we're talking about from the seventies were in rerun. So, so for me, even though we had an eighties childhood, a lot of the seventies kind of permeates in. Sure. I have a huge amount of romanticism and like, uh, just nostalgic love myself for that era, for the honeymooners, for all these shows we just cited for, uh, movies like rebel without a cause, uh, or, or these other fifties. I like, I love the idea of like, you know, the guy in having dudes in leather jackets with switchblades who just, (laughs) <laughs> you know, just muck around with their cars, you know, their chop top Mercury's or yeah. they're like their, you know, their Fords and just, you know, it's all about the girl or this in high school. And it's, it's to me, it's, it is literally just like a simpler time where yeah. these people aren't, you're not worried about whatever we have on our shoulders today. Yeah, so yeah. it's, it's really, I mean, you have a little bit of the 
Cold War. Yeah, stuff, but they but... were people were so naive about it. You, they were showing like uh, freaking educational videos. Were like, if you see a big flash of light, get yeah. on your desk. You'll be yeah. fine. Stand you up know? against the wall. Yeah, don't worry about <laughs> it. And then go out look for help, help casualties and have flash burns. It's like you know they they didn't want to tell America that you're gonna you're you're, yeah. you're dead. Yeah, you know <laughs> I mean, they don't need to, but they don't need to know either because at the same time they were kind of ignorant of life. Yeah. You know, and, and and it was since it was just a simpler time that was okay. So I I love the nostalgic aspect of these of this time and especially like I said the James Dean era and all that kind of the, just the 50s themselves I've always been drawn to it yeah. you know from just growing up watching the show I think I think you're right I never really thought about the context of that we were watching we grew up watching the nostalgic television shows of the 70s for the 50s because yeah. I bet you, or even the '60s, all that escapism too. We watched like the, you know, uh, I Dream of Jeannie, Bewitched, well, yeah, 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 you know, all that kind of crazy shit. But still, you know, uh, I don't think kids today, or even people in their tw- in their early twenties today, probably have as much of a grasp on people like Chuck Berry, no. Chubby Checker. I would say no. There's no. There's. I, I mean, the ignorance of today's culture on just like you know, who's the vice president? You know, why did, who do we fight in World you know, War II? We, Just that I mean, nobody knows. Up, you know, we grew up watching Happy Days and watching reruns of those early Happy Days where before you had Sunday, Monday, Happy Days, it was rock around the clock. Yeah, was, yeah. Was their opening song for... Yeah. <laughs> it was one clock, two o'clock, three and, o'clock. And, you know, that was all... And, and all the other, like, you know, then the, the spinoff of Laverne and Shirley and then, like, uh, it's just all that... That era was just we were watching like the... Because I guess, you know, you think... Of, of course, s- there was American Graffiti, but, you know, I yeah. didn't really see that till kind of much later but that was part of that last picture show i mean there is a lot of movies that take place in the 50s that have this nostalgic kind of an aspect but it's it's like syndication didn't really the idea didn't dawn upon people for television until like the early 70s so we were kind of like 10 years removed we're kind of the first generation that's being fed oh we have all these vaults we can just open up and throw at you so we grew up watching television you know the past 30 or 20 years of television and whatever survived the rerun form just and then just the TVs, you're right. Not even just the 70s nostalgic aspect. You know, Watching we had, Dennis the Menace. Yeah, we had it whatever, whatever they realized. Lassie. Yeah, <laughs> well, they first realized, because, I mean, a lot of times, um, you know, a lot of that early era television was just destroyed. I mean, there's the, either they just, they, they didn't think it uh, of preserving it, like, or they would just, they ran out of tape, they'd tape over it for new shows, or they would just bury it or get rid of it. So a lot of... Like fifty percent of like all that yeah. era is gone, and luckily we do have stuff that's preserved that then it became syndication. So nineteen seventy one, this uh, the 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 play premieres in Chicago. Um, shout out to Mike Vanderbilt, <laughs> Mike Mike sure. Mike holding Chicago down. I do have to say too, Mike Stratton, what my you know that we we both know he's now Chicago. Oh, he's too. in Chicago. Yeah, he's been Chicago-y. a Chicagoian. From uh, is it Chicagoite or Chicagoian? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, Mike Mike Vanderbilt. He's always given. Because there's us actually positive. there was a. I mean, I don't know how it is now, but there was a very strong, in the at least in the seventies, a very strong th- theater. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, industry in Chicago. Even to the eighties, Steppenwolf yeah, Stuart theater. Gordon came out of. Uh, the theater in Chicago. Well, you have um, the Steppenwolf the- uh, Theater that was, I think, kind of founded with Gary Sinise and maybe even John Malkovich. They put yeah. on, like, Of Mice and Men. Uh, Tom Waits did a play called Frank's Wild Years that Gary Sinise put on in the 80s. So there's, it has a very uh, prestigious Chicago-based theater troupe. And the play was only supposed to have four... Grease. Yeah, Grease was only supposed to have four 
showings or for performances. Which I wonder how it was like, going to be like the off. it was going to be like the Friday and Saturday of one week, and then the Friday of Saturday the next week, and that's all they were slated to do. So you wonder how but, minimal is it? You know what I mean? Like how much a day? If there was no staying value, was it just like some chairs set up? Like or you know what I mean? Like what sets do you need? I, and I think uh, if you see like cast photos online from that those performances, there's a lot of familiar faces like Mary Lou Henner's in it, yeah. and also. Um, there is one guy who is in so many things from our childhood. He's in like Night of the Creeps, and if, if you, he's just a, like a lot of recognizable faces. Not Tom Atkins. No, no, no. Not, no. He plays like <laughs> one Tom of Atkins. the scientists. Oh, but, okay. Uh, but so it was only supposed to have four performances, but then it quickly, you know, through word of mouth, became a little bit of a hit. So it ended up running kind of much longer. And then eventually it came to New York off Broadway, and then it made its way to Broadway in New York, and then it ran for eight years, making it at the time the longest running Broadway show of all time. And from on Broadway, and then even into like the London kind of like version of it, in the you, East End, you had so many notable actors. Yeah, in they, the show. They, yeah, it started with Barry Bostwick playing Danny. Uh, Adrian Barbeau played Riz. Yeah. And then throughout the many years, you had several other people. You had Richard Gere, Patrick Swayze, Peter Gallagher, Mary Treat Lou Williams, Henner. Mary Lou Henner, and then even Travolta and Jeff Conway. The all, all rotating, playing various just in the... Uh, the Not all the, the, the road versions. Time. No, but like, they'd mix in, mix out, understudy, they'd come in. And this is all before these actors are, were big, so this is what you do to just get street cred. And uh, I th- is it... Conway played... Uh, he played Danny, not from the very beginning, but at some point in the middle, he played Danny, and Travolta played... His part. Duty, maybe? No, he didn't play Kanicki. Oh, okay. He had an even smaller part, because he was pretty young when he was on the play, so he wasn't like old enough to really pull off you know, one of the... One of the more main cards, but he yeah. was he was one of the guys. You so you, you get the director now, uh, Randall Kessler. Is, is does he see the play first? Well, I think he gets the idea, or no, the producer does. <coughs> the, um, Alan Carr, the guys who wrote the play. I think the, there was it was such a big hit that then it became there was talks about it becoming a movie, and it ended up seeming like it was going to be the the movie that never was because they could never find the right mix. At one point. There was a lot of talk about it being a full-length animated feature. Yeah, with the people who were like doing Fritz the Cat at the time and all that, and it was only it and was almost won- an And at the end, Danny Danny Zuko was going to commit suicide. <laughs> yeah, and they were like, okay, so and would- to put a frame of context in the middle to late seventies, you started getting some serious. You end up those people who didn't get the rights for this ended up going to do Lord of the Rings. Yeah, you have American pop yeah, come yeah, out. They got like the heavy Ralph metal, Bashki stuff. Yeah, so you and have even the opening credit sequence is an homage. very much in that style. The opening credit sequence was done by a guy named John Wilson, but it's very much uh, in that like Ralph Bashki style. Yeah. And they um, did that as an homage to that idea that they were originally going to maybe do this live action rotoscoped or something. So eventually, Robert Stigwood and Alan Carr uh, end up kind of obtaining the rights to produce a feature length movie. Now, Robert Stigwood, uh, for music fans, is kind of a big deal because he was a music uh, agent or manager. He was a manager, and he managed Cream. Oof. And then when Cream broke up, he managed Clapton and Blind Faith and then Clapton's first solo album and then Derek and the Dominoes and then 
uh, Clapton's you know early, early 70s stuff. He was also the Bee Gees. Yeah, that's that's manager. The, that's the Bee Gees connection. And and then he pro- I think he produced Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. Well, you, then you get um uh Travolta's picked up at the same time by uh, I think it's Paramount and they give him a three picture deal and I guess I don't know why they're giving him all musicals. Yeah, so they signed him on. I wonder if that just kind of worked out that way. But uh, he he was a big hit on TV. Yeah, Welcome Back, Cotter. Yeah, and then and then he did the TV movie, the boy, the boy in the plastic bubble, which was directed by by uh, this our director here, Randall Kessler. And when he comes on to do this three picture deal, which ends up being um, Saturday Night Fever. This movie, Grease, and then Staying Alive was the Which third was directed one. by Sylvester St- Stallone. Stallone. <laughs> He's a little cameo at the end there. Um, he, in the middle of that, he wanted to bring somebody that he connected with to the project so he'd be comfortable and he's the one who brings in Kessler he's like I worked with him on TV I know he's a good director I'll bring him in to do Grease Boy of the Plastic Bubble by the way if you haven't seen it have you ever seen it? I have seen it years ago and I've seen bits and pieces of it uh, you know I think recently because maybe they re-aired it when they did the comedy remember they did a comedy movie of it like oh, a remake yeah, a couple yeah, of years yeah, ago Bubble Boy. So, yeah so I feel like it was on TV a little bit then and it was very tragic because those scenes when they're like on the football field and he's trying to like show people up like I could do push ups or pull ups and he, he almost dies you have to drag him back to yeah. the thing it's, All that. it's, it's very intense it's very cheesy and very uh, movie of the week it was very at the time it's pulling at your heartstrings you know? and so, it's very uh, kitschy but yeah. totally enjoyable Mel- very melodramatic I course. highly recommend it yeah. it's one of my favorite TV movies of all time Oof. along with like Duel and Night's Talk right? <laughs> no, yeah. you know the f- more fucked up yeah. ones this was it's it's totally enjoyable but I that, that, that makes sense because it, it's almost like an after school special and we know your affinity for after school specials <laughs> that's true that's <laughs> true know? and the, the director's name is like Kleiser or Kleiser not Kels- Kessler oh I thought it was uh, Kle- K-L oh I'm saying Kessler Kleiser Kleiser but so uh Kleiser, or however you pronounce it. Sorry, Randall. Well, Alan he, Carr brings everybody together, and then he he writes this, the the screenplay uh, with uh, a guy named uh, Bronte Wood, Woodard, and uh, they bring everybody together, and they and then it, and they act, they end up like kind of like excommunicating. Yeah, which Warren is kind Casey of Casey and Jim Jacobs, the guys the who set. the guys who did the original screen uh, stage production, because I guess they were on set when they started principal photography and. Uh, Alan Carr would say something the director would say something and then those two guys would just ignore him and say this is how we want you to do it so it got to the point where they actually had to remove them from set because for like a week I think what the big I think what the big deal was is that the original musical was very edgier was much edgier it was there was a lot more violence in it it was a much it was well, it's very more, much like a rebel without a cause there was much more sex yeah so it really for to have like a more family friendly uh you know, film that which was very forward thinking of them. They had to know. kind of tone everything down. Yeah, and you know, obviously, a lot of the sex talk is still in there, and pretty racy. I mean, you take a look at a song like uh, "Greased Lightning." Yeah. Now, the in the original play, that song, that number was basically kind of a how-to of how to like turn your phone turn your car into like a bedroom yeah, so you yeah. can like you know fuck a girl yeah in the, in the back so, seat <laughs> so in the rumble seat you know th- it became a little bit about that but it was more about like redoing this car to get and then and then being able to get chicks now but even in the tv even in like no, the, even in this film even, version they bring up gangbang they I bring remember up watching uh this on television not too long ago and the greased lightning song comes up 
It, they call the car a pussy wagon. Yeah. And the like the, <laughs> the, the, the like the, the ongoing you know grease lightning like course is they say the chicks will cream. Yeah. <laughs> pretty it's pretty uh so it's like this is a and i never in my i never like it never occurred to me well it's funny because one thing i was i was actually sitting there listening to the lyrics i was like cream and you could just think of all the Pussy all, all the girls at home singing along with their cassette tapes in, in the, the 80s yeah <laughs> with their, their headphones on yeah yeah get, like, get cream all <laughs> get cream and it's and it i mean to the point when when they reissued this movie in 98 the re-release they actually changed it from pg to pg-13 because of the smoking the violence yeah. the sexual uh you know connotations and all that but i mean there is kind of like you're saying there's edgier moments with oh just, yeah i mean a lot they, of like they you say said, a lot of they talk about you know, gang bang and, and, and then the, the, and the and condom then, scene where it's broke what am i going to and in the even in the in the grease lightning scene in the play, there's a line in the song about using saran wrap as a condom. Jesus. Now they ended up cutting that out, but if you watch that scene closely, there's a there's a scene where they have a roll of saran wrap and they're like throwing it around and John Travolta takes it and he rubs it across his crotch as kind of like a little you, ode. Yeah, you can't put when you won't let me put it in, but we're gonna put a, just well, a little you know, nod to it. It's so Travolta, <clears throat> he since he's so familiar with the play, um, what he ends up doing is he he knows them quite well. So when they're on set and they have issues where they they can't uh, figure a scene out or whatever. Travolta ends up opting for the original dialogue from the play, which ends up, I guess, nine times out of ten working, and everyone agrees, like, oh, that's yeah. the correct way to go. So you're right. He has very much at his heart the the, uh, the, the, the formative foundation of the original stage version. Yeah, well, he was in it. He was a big fan of it, wanted to. He had seen it. I think he might even, ha- might even have seen it in Chicago. Yeah. And then when it came to Broadway, he really wanted to be in it. So even though the writers of the original play, uh, Casey and Jacobs, couldn't, they weren't allowed. They they were really afraid that their baby was being bastardized. But because like Jeff Conway and Travolta were in the play, they were friendly with you know with Warren Casey and Jim Jacobs, and they would ass- they would constantly assure them right. that Jeff Conway and Travolta were. I was like, trust us. Like we're, you know, we're we're your voice here, and we're we're trying we're trying to keep the really important elements. And and um, <clears throat> they ended up making them. You know, like an absolute classic. Uh, and it, that is really, you know, yeah, yeah, stayed held the, test the test of time. time. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's uh, I mean, the soundtrack was, it's the second best selling album of uh, uh, the United States in 78. It's I mean, the it's, highest grossing movie musical of all time. Yeah, but Chicago in 2002 just almost rivaled it. I mean, it's the staying power of it's amazing, but it had. I mean, uh, like every other movie, it, it has those early things where they, they were maybe thinking of Carrie Fisher being in it. There's a lot of maybes. Oh, and yeah. There's a lot of, uh, you know, who, almost you know. showed up or homo, who, most, who almost ended up in it. I mean, one of my very, very favorite examples of this is there's an actor named Harry Reams. And a lot of people know Harry Reams as, a, as an adult actor, rightfully so. Adult. And Porn. Porn. He's, he's a guy. He's, he was an adult and yeah. he was an actor, yeah, but, but he was an, an adult, adult films. Yeah, he's an adult films. And uh, people ought to know him best as in Deep Throat. Now, I never saw Deep Throat until like after college, but I had a movie called Meatballs that he's the mad scientist. And again, it's a porno, 70s porno. And it's him. Not to so, be mistaken with the, with the Bill with, Murray Now with the Bill Murray movie, <laughs> completely different. So uh, it's funny that a lot of these actors, and you can include Don uh, or Ron Jeremy in it. At the beginning, they were just regular New York struggling stage actors or movie actors, and then they just realized, oh, you're shooting porn? Sure, I can keep an erection and have sex with a girl while people videotape it or, or yeah. I'm sorry, film it. So a lot of these guys just segued into porn and they stuck or whatever. It became a good money or leg- legacy. 
So this guy was, I guess, still trying to do bona fide stuff, and yeah. uh, Alan Carr ended up signing him for for the Sid Caesar cap for uh, Coach the Calhoun. Coach, yeah. So in the what if game, yeah, we would have had uh, uh, Harry, Harry Reams, Reams as the coach. As the coach, Carrie Fisher was being considered for Sandy. Yeah, and Henry Winkler was being considered for Danny because of the popularity of the Fonz. Which is so it's so weird to think it like. You know, I know Henry Winkler, of course, from uh, from Happy Days, but he also executive produced MacGyver. So it's just interesting that to me, you think it like t- I look at him nowadays, and I've met him before, and it's like he he doesn't look anything to be like a tough guy. But yeah, then you look yeah. at him as like Fonz on Fonz, yeah. and well, he, he actually turns down the role. He turned it down because one, he had been playing the Fonz, and two, he Lords of Flatbush. He had done the Lords of Flatbush, and so he didn't. He was trying to shy away from that, like that fifties greaser yeah, tough guy. He'd done it a little too much, and uh, it became hard for Tra- Travolta because he did uh, Saturday Night Fever, then he did this, and he still had a contract to finish like like season three of Welcome Back, Cotter, but he'd already blown up. But I guess you could say to his credit, he stayed on. He did that season three. I think they like minimized his uh, his character a little bit. Yeah. But he stayed on and, and you know finished the commitment of that. But. Uh, yeah, the, the, the what if game is amazing, but you so they end up not care. You know, the studio gets like, hey, hey, hey we can't. You know, this is going to be a family movie. You can't have Harry Reams in it. I mean, you know, <laughs> everybody's going to realize. You know, all the parents are going to be like, what the hell? Yeah. So they end up not casting him, and then Alan Carr feels so bad. He cuts him a check for five grand and says, "Here, I'm sorry. I, I feel so bad this happened." And they replace him with you know the great Sid Caesar. Yeah. So who has an interesting role? It's in actually a great cast. I mean, if you really go through the cast, I mean. Obviously, Charlton Travolta, Olivia Newton-John was a singer, and she had had a, she was had a hit at the time. And they're like, "Well, what about her?" And John Travolta apparently was way into the idea of having. Yeah, her. he wanted he wanted her. She was big. She'd done a, uh, a 1970 sci-fi musical film called Tomorrow, and uh, it had a, her 71 song "If Not for You," and it was kind of like her with three guys, and they were trying to like invent a new monkeys kind of like a group and. The movie didn't do that well, so she was very hesitant. She was very hesitant to make another movie because yeah. she was, I guess, embarrassed. Or just yeah, and, she, and her career had been going well as a singer and as yeah. that personality, so she was worried to step into a role, and then, God forbid, it didn't turn out right that she and Plus, she sucks. was quite a bit older. I mean, she was She's 28 like 28 when yeah. they shot this. And a lot of a so, lot of the people are like, you know... Yeah, I mean... Uh, but, she, so, she was so... Uh, Hesitant, hesitant to do it. That she, they offered her the part, but she was like, "You know what? Let me do a screen test so I can see it and see if and I don't, I don't want to completely embarrass myself yeah. and see if I can pull off being a teenager and I can act well enough and yeah, I can believe be believable." And they end up shooting as a screen test the drive-in scene, the drive-in with scene Travolta with, between her and Travolta. Yeah. And they said it was great, and she was happy, so she signed right on. Uh, they changed the background to her character because her character was like uh, it was like a Polish last name, the original. Uh, character and then so they ended up because she's like she said it was hard enough for her to th- to think about uh acting and being a um a singer in it uh you know maybe I, they might have to uh have her you know she's like i'm not going to be able to maybe hold an american accent so they said yeah. to her okay we'll make we'll, her part yeah australia we'll, yeah <laughs> so they, they and i never noticed that until this viewing that she was because that opening scene when they shot it at that very um you know, um, legendary location for what they used um, in From Here to Eternity. I didn't realize 
in 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 that she had an yeah. I thought she had an American accent in that, yeah. and then it wasn't until she starts talking later on in the movie that you're like, oh okay, well, yeah, you know, there's a little line right uh, there. Like, I'm, I'm gonna have to go back to Australia. Yeah, she does say that. It was at Malibu's. <laughs> it was just at the beginning. Malibu's Leo Carlo State Beach, Carrillo or something where they shot the opening or one of the scenes of uh, From Here to Eternity with um, the two of them on the beach. Uh, Stalker Channing as as Rizzo. Yeah. Uh, great. One of my favorite lines is uh, "Bite the weenie, Riz." <laughs> I know, and you were talking about ages. You have Travolta's twenty three at the time. Uh, Olivia Newton-John's twenty eight. Uh, Channing's thirty three. Jeff Conway, uh, who ends up playing um, Kanicki, Kanicki, he's twenty six. Barry Pearl's twenty seven. Michael uh, Tucci's thirty one. Kelly Ward's twenty. Uh, Dee Dee Condi is twenty five. Jamie uh, Donnelly's thirty. And in uh, Lorenzo Lamas, who who I couldn't find when I watched this, and I finally realized when I went back, he was only nineteen at the time. I think uh, whoever played and Michael Beans in it too. We give it a little shout out to Michael Beans. Whoever played Dina Manoff, I think she was nineteen, wasn't she? Uh, Eddie Diesel, twenty. Yeah, she was Dina Manoff. Was, yeah, uh, I mean, and then, the, s- and then the smaller parts. You know, like you said, Michael Bean, he's one of the basketball players. Yeah, he's you. Um, you could see him at the right at the beginning of the movie when they're when they're all back to school and there's the scene where they're like they're, they're messing around in science class and they grab the frog. If you look at that scene, you could see him right in there and he's like. And then he's also one of the basketball players when Josh Walter is trying to figure out what sport he's going to play. Yeah. Um, and then for all you uh, match game fans, Fanny Flag plays plays Nurse Wilkins. Yes. Fanny Flag wrote uh, Fried Green Tomatoes. And but best known for being a, one of the celebrity panelists of <laughs> Match Game, and we love ourselves a Match Game. I mean the um, the uh, like the the supporting cast is made up of a lot of uh, like established fifties actors at the time. Yeah, and, but also you know, uh, before you get into the fifties actors, one of the other the Patty uh, Simcox role played by uh, Susan Buckner. Susan Buckner in one of my favorite. Uh, Wes Craven movies, Deadly Blessing. With old, she's uh, one of the, she's one of the three girls in that movie with uh, Shannon Sto- uh, Sharon Stone, Sharon Stone and, that. and Ernest Borgnine. It's a phenomenal movie. Wes, yeah, Wes Craven's um, a, a, Deadly a, Blessing. A, a little uh, a, a lesser known Wes Craven classic. Anyway, and yeah, and so there's a lot of yeah. I can't th- I can't think of the names for for off the top of my head, but um, you know, it's it's the whole company of um, Sid Caesar and all them, and they're they're all. Big uh, established like fifties, you know, actors, and you even have Frankie Avalon who comes in, which is amazing. Scene they, uh, also part of the What If game, they asked Elvis to do that. Elvis declined for whatever reason, and then uh, another Elvis he connection. Also, you know, he, hey, he was getting a little heavier. But at he the also time. died <laughs> well, while they were making the movie. Yeah, but I mean, if he he could have signed on and they could have died, yeah, but he declined yeah. doing it. And the day he died was the scene they were doing the um, sleepover scene. Yeah, at so house. it was supposed to be for you talking about people who don't know anybody in, in their twenties or thirties. No one's going to know. Sadly, Sal Mineo, yeah. great actor who I think most recognizable for people uh, is in Rebel Without a Cause. He's the like the third person with James Dean and Natalie Wood. And he uh, was stabbed to death like 75 or 76 in an alley with, some people say it was his gay lover. I forget really what it was. It was also dramatized in season one of American Horror Story. For some reason, they start the, sh- the scene, they dramatize it, and maybe because there was a Hollywood tour or something like that. That's where Salminio was killed. So when he was killed, they put this line in, in the song that they reference Salminio or whatever because that would have been topical for people back then because they would have known him from the 50s. Yeah. But then... Elvis dying that day, they changed it, and they ended up having the the line go Elvis, which I think just ends up working just as well. 
you know and um yeah they put a line uh an elvis line in the song that uh stalker channing singing sing, whether she's making fun of uh sandy now what do you think of to to and go in a somewhat order um did you find i found at the beginning of the of the movie the the uh song grease grease is the word by um barry gibbs yeah, Barry Gibb uh, wrote it. Yeah, I find it kind of. I agree with the director. Where I kind of find he he felt like it was a little out of place, and he thought the, the lyrics were a little too, um, that the, they were a little too dark for the tone of the movie. But then the producers said, you know, shut the hell up. We know what we're doing. We need a song like this to sell it. And I completely understand that because for me, the song is so seventies. Yeah, it fits perfectly. I never, for some reason, don't remember the opening uh, animation portion, which I find now is a little like drawn out because back then. You know, people held their interest a little longer. Yeah, yeah. So I know the song, yeah. but I never made the connection. But it's weird to me. It just reminds me of back then how they, I mean, it's not as an extreme example, but you have those songs where it's like a Western, Pat Garrett and Billy the King. You have like a pop song, you know, like, you know Paul <laughs> Williams song or something. Yeah, yeah. So I had I had a little of that going, but not to the extent where it's completely like it's a period and they have, you know, something like that. But I, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I guess I never really thought about it, but if I look back on it, I guess in a way I've always thought that it did feel a little out of place because it, it you're right, it is so and 70s. Peter uh, uh, Frampton played guitar on it as, as well, and that's all. You know, the thing about the thing about the play versus the movie is obviously many of the songs from the play are in the movie, but they ended up putting songs that weren't in the play in the movie, and in this particular case. They wanted to have a song called Grease. Yeah. You know, they wanted like a title song for it. Something. S- so, so Stigwood, Robert Stigwood, he called up Barry Gibb. As you do. Because uh, he was the managers of the Bee Gees yeah. and Barry Gibb was one of the Bee Gees. And, he's, and he said, you know, we write, I need you to write this song. I'm going to call it Grease. And he's like, well, what do you want it to be about? Yeah. Like, what? He's like, you know, you just say Grease, blah, 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 Grease. Yeah, blah, yeah. Blah. So, so Barry Gibb went and he wrote this song. Well, he started playing around with these like Grease. It's a word. Uh, Grease is a word. And then I think the next day or later after he calls it, what do you think it is? Grease is the word. It's the word. Grease. And he's like, <laughs> go. <laughs> just say the word Grease yeah. as many times. Get as you frammed can. in and just you're gonna have fun. Uh, so then it was they just they were trying to think of who they would get to sing it, and uh, I guess it was along that lines if they wanted a, f- a famous fifties voice i would guess yeah i could only assume so they got frankie valley to sing it for beauty school dropout no that's uh avalon frankie avalon frankie avalon frankie valley sang what grease grease yeah grease is the word Frankie valley in the four c who's the four seasons guy that's Frankie Valley. Yeah, he sings Grease is what he sings the Grease song. I thought that was Barry Gibbs and all that. No, no, he wrote it. Barry oh, Gibb wrote it, and then Peter Fred plays guitar. But that's not him singing. No. Oh, that's, that's a complete mindfuck because it doesn't sound like Frankie Valley at all. No, it's Frankie oh, Valley wow. sings it. Wow, I didn't, I didn't even pick up on that. Uh, and that's so crazy because it's such a seventies thing. We should just redo this because I didn't even know. <laughs> uh, but no, we're not going to. But um, the sound of the song yeah, is yeah. definitely 70s. Oh, I thought it was because it has that style because then they ended up writing like two or three songs for like, you know, Olivia Newton John's yeah, playing board. Yeah. So a lot of those sound very 70s. The ballad they end up singing with her. Yeah, that, let's see. I have a list That of ends up songs. getting um that and that's the song that they they realized after filming like crap we need a ballad for her to sing something yeah good. so they went and back they didn't and they didn't want to even do it they ended up going to the guy who had written you know some of her other hits yeah and said we need to fit a couple we'd lo- we want to have her sing 
I mean, she's Olivia Newton-John. We need her, we want her to sing in the movie. <laughs> so more stuff to just her. So they, he went and wrote Hopelessly Devoted to You. And they actually ended up shooting that kind of afterwards, yeah. I think. And then uh, I think he also wrote at the end. You're that's the one, the one that, that got uh, Oscar nominated You're as the well. one that I want. Uh, he, I'm going to be writing that. And then somebody wrote the song Sandy. Yeah. Uh, that John Travolta sings at the drive-in. Yeah. And they had Barry Gibb write the song Grease. Um, now, uh, in the Salminio song we were just talking about, it was Look at Me, I'm Sandy, Sandra D. In that song, that's where they replaced Elvis with Salminio with Elvis. Yeah, that's where they refer. She looks at a picture of Elvis and, and she starts singing about that. And then uh, you said, af- and, and after when they did Hopeless Devoted to You, which. Uh, the pr- producers felt they needed a strong ballad that ended up getting the Oscar nomination. Yeah, and, uh, they and that was a hit. I mean, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. obviously, I mean the whole the soundtrack was was a big hit in in general. But I remember growing up in the '80s and my mom, you know, she had some Olivia Newton John. What's the one where the video was like she's working? Let's get physical. Yeah, physical. <laughs> but I remember uh, hopelessly devoted to you being on the radio. Yeah. A lot. Um. Yeah, and it 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 so it's a lot of those ones that they wrote for the for the movie to me have a kind of a seventies kind of a fi- like just yeah. like a structure or whatever. And I think that uh, Beauty School Dropout is just an amazing scene with yeah, Frankie yeah. Avalon coming down. It's perfect, and it's like it's such a great song, and it's just such a uh, you know yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great uh, moment in the movie. It is a great song. It opens with. Uh, you know, a very, I forget the line, but it's very, there's a, it just opens with a, a, a concept, an idea yeah. that's very familiar to people that are fans of uh, 50s music or even like Sinatra. Yeah. It's like your story. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's sad to be told. <laughs> you know, it's something along those lines. Day. So it pulls you in as if you're a fan of that kind of music. Yeah. Pulls you right in. And then. Well, let's uh, say it's like one of, it's like almost like you start the song in like, it's almost one of those verses before the, the, the band yeah, comes it's in. It's like a little precursor. Yeah. So it's like he just, it says a verse or it's something. It's like a prelude. To and then coming. the song hits. It's like, <laughs> you know. And of um, course, you know, I think uh, that's another thing is I think our generation is probably the last generation to really know who Frankie and Annette are. Of course, yeah. I you don't know, think anybody knows who they are. And, uh, uh, did, you know, did some of them, did uh, Did she die? She ended up dying. She was sick. Yeah, she had she, something. She I had like muscular yeah, dystrophy or, or, or Parkinson's something. or something. She had something and she ended up passing away. And I remember going to see Back to the Beach yeah. in the movie theater. Wow. <laughs> we went. It was my stepmom, my stepmom's mom. And my brother and I, we went to go see Back to the Beach. Jeez. And that's is that with the whole like cast of like Gillians in that? And the, yeah, and the, yeah. even uh, Paul Rubens yeah, plays Paul Rubens. Yeah, the whole crazy. <laughs> it was cast. like a spoof. For those of you that don't know, Frankie Avalon and Nefuncello had these series of beach teen beach movies yeah, in the fifties, like beach bikini bingo or whatever, you know, and. Uh, and even those would have kind of like Buster Keaton is in one of them, yeah, you know, yeah. like weird cameos. Uh, and then in the late eight, I think it's the late eighties or early nineties, but I think it's the late eighties. They make this movie. Uh, come yeah, back I think to it's the late eighties. It's like eighty seven, eighty eight, which is a, a spoof, but starring Frankie Avalon and, and F. Rochella. Yeah, it was like yeah, it was like their la- it was like their swan song. I don't and so say it like that. Frankie Avalon was a teen idol in like the late fifties and early sixties. Yeah, and yeah. So they got him. To do uh, 
this number in the movie. And our is... director, Randall uh, Kle- Kle- Kleiser, am I saying it wrong? I would say it's Kle- Kleiser. Kleiser. Let's go with Kleiser. He, he worked as an extra on uh, a 1966 Frankie Avalon movie called Fireball 500, so it's a weird kind of a... Uh, it's all you know, it all comes around. And for the life of me, which I couldn't remember before, all those great 50s established actors were Eve Arden. We had Frankie Avalon. We had Joan uh, Bondell. We had Ed Burns. We had um, Alice Ghostly. And we had Dottie Goodman. We're all t- part of the supporting roles along with um, Sid Caesar, you know, as I think they're like the teachers and the, yeah. uh, the what's her name, the mechanic, the, the you know, the school oh, yeah, mechanic. Yeah, yeah. All those people are very much established 50s television the secretary for, for you know the secretary in the main office. yeah and i think joan bondell i think she she has a connection to if i might be wrong to the uh, burns and allen show I, that uh, i don't think any one of our audience is going to be able to help clarify <laughs> for me that's all i think joan bondell maybe <laughs> the, in the weeds yeah it's, yeah i don't know yeah maybe i'm thinking of uh, their, their announcer bondell um, um it could be and all. then you know the, the other thing i don't think people remember about the movie is that in addition to all these wonderful songs in the you know for the movie sung by the characters it's off they're all augmented by a pretty great collection of 50s rock and roll songs yeah which don't yeah people kind of you know because they end up being just like on the jukeboxes or stuff like that yeah and then at the dance yeah you know at the dance they have uh the shananas yes uh play the band that's that's performing at the was it the national bandstand what's yeah it's 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 a it's a spin on american bandstand with um dick clark dick clark but instead it's like national which is another thing people today would have no idea yeah and 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 then also i was confused i was thinking the time frame okay if this movie takes place in an entire year the first day of school our principal's announcing it so when is this supposed to be happening in like the spring or is this happening they announce it on the first day i thought like the first time they they announce it while they're like you know she's like it's our first uh it's her first thingamajiggy. The, um, you know, it's right at the beginning where they're oh, like, uh, I don't remember. You know, I thought it was, you know, it's like during, be. it was right when they're like, you know, they're having all the antics with like the frog and Michael Bean's laughing at the yeah, girl. Yeah. So I thought it was all during that little montage. And like, and don't forget, we've been picked this year for, uh, <laughs> so you're going to have to. I don't know. Like, I would assume that's at the end of the year. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. That's, that's what I thought too. So, and then. But, uh, so the, the band is, in the, in the movie, the band is called Johnny. Johnny Casino and the Gamblers. Yeah. But they got a uh, a real band called the Shananas. Yeah. Which was a uh kind of a popular band and I don't know when they got their start, but they were into the late sixties, into the, obviously into the seventies, and they were a contemporary band but playing all this old fifties music. Which is a kind of a niche. Yeah, totally. You know? And they had like the Pompadours and stuff. I mean they were at I don't want I don't think they were at Woodstock, but there were a bunch of those music festivals at the time. Yeah. Uh, and they, they had made that documentary called like the rolling festival or something, you know, or uh, festival express came out maybe 10 years ago, whatever. And they, cause they found all this footage of the grateful dead and Janis Joplin and the band and going, taking a train, I think across Canada or something, a yeah. buddy guy. And they would stop and they'd do all these festivals. And the Shana and Oz were on that, we're on that bill, you know. So the Shannonas were like a popular act, but they were feeding off of that nostalgia, yeah, of the fifties and doing this like fifties music. So when they got to nineteen seventy seven, when they're making this movie or seven, or early seventy eight, and they're like, we need, we need to fill this movie with fifties authentic fifties rock music, you know, rock and roll music, and then we need a band for this dance scene. 
they're like, well, who can we get? And it was like, really, the only band that could do this authentically would be Sean and us. So and we the, got them to do it. The other guy comes off like like quite a little asshole. The uh, the, the the Bob uh, uh, Dick Clark, Vince Fontaine. Yeah, Vince Fontaine, who ends up being uh, in the the last year's stage version was um, Vince Fontaine, the guy Lopez, who, the guy that plays Ed Burns. Yeah. Not to be mistaken with Ed Burns. Yeah, not our, <laughs> Ed Burns that some of us may know now. Uh, he's an actor that pops up in so much stuff. Like he's a weird-looking guy, like too. From the 70s and, and maybe late 60s. Where I'll always be watching something. Like he's, I'm almost 100% positive that he's in uh, Willy Wonka as like one of the newscasters. Oh, okay, yeah. I think you might be right. You yeah. know, like he's always, I see. I always see him, and I'm like, what is that guy in? And I'm like, and then you always, and then I realize, oh, he's in Willy Wonka, and he's fucking Vince Fontaine. He's one of those guys that pops up and stuff, and he's so recognizable when he does. But he does a great job as Vince Fontaine in this. It's hilarious. It's just very him, just like you know, hitting on every girl there, sleazy and, and very, you know. very much. You think that people would be back then uh, doing stuff. Um, or what of game too is they wanted uh, Andy Warhol to be in the movie. Alan Carr wanted him to play like a the the art teacher, which I guess never came to, came to fruition. So you have a lot of people. That, that I guess as well would have uh, been in it. Um, they had a national contest to get extras, so that's kind of cool to get people in. That you win a contest, you become an extra in the film. Um, and uh, they were, like you said, they were really uh, pushing to get that thing uh, animated, but they never, which was good, they didn't end up doing it with um, the guys who did Fritz the Cat. Did you say already, uh, Ralph? Uh, uh, Bakshi. Bakshi. Yeah. yeah. He, they wanted to do, uh, it, it ends up being really weird there because they want to get the rights to do this. They don't do it. Bakshi ends up doing Lord of the Rings, the live action rotoscope mm-hmm. movie. And then John Borman, who wants to do a Tolkien book, can't do that because they just did an animated version. So he goes off and does Excalibur, <laughs> yeah. you know, which is a, a, a little a roundabout way. I, I love how you get back to this 50s romanticism that I, it occurs to me, too, that you have movies like The Outsiders and like the... Uh, oh, sure, yeah. What's the other one, too? Which the Wanderers. The are, yeah, all, yeah. The, all... It's very much this romanticism of that again. And um, I rediscovered recently, you know, Capella's version, of, Coppola's version of the movie, The Outsiders, and, you know, how good it is in, yeah. compared to the book. And it's I like... for Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> do for Johnny, man. I mean, you think about the cast that's in that movie, it's insane. But uh, another thing is, like, Travolta was insistent, say, that he wanted his hair to be, like, that blue-black... You yeah. know, like he and he said specifically, it's like James Dean looked like, or even like Rock Hudson had in the fifties, and it's. I think it very much comes the part, and uh, I do feel like a heavily heavily influence of this movie is like Rebel Without a Cause. Even sure. down to like at the beginning, he's wearing like one of those like zip ups, and it looks exactly like the, either it's red or blue. It looks like the exact one that James yeah, Dean yeah. was wearing in uh, Rebel Without a Cause. Um, uh, just a couple other, you know, uh, trivial th- trivia type things. The Hickeys, Kanicki's Hickeys. Yeah, yeah. Rizzo he really did. Are it. Actually, he insisted. Yeah. Jeff Conway insisted and that he give them. To her. What a what a sad kind of story. Where he he originally was supposed to be singing Grease Lightning. Travolta kind of busts in and says, "No, I want that." Yeah, yeah. yeah. Travolta kind of strong Kanicki's song because yeah. he was the one that bought the it's car. His car. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, and I think the 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 car is a. Um, is a 1946 Ford sedan, uh, or it's a 48 Ford two-door sedan. They end up uh, t- converting it with peanut headlights and fenders and all that kind of thing. 
uh, great car when they when they end up. I love that whole scene where it it kind of is subliminal where you start off like in the uh, high school you know garage, yeah, and then all of a sudden you're like in white walls, very much like THX eleven thirty eight, but you don't <laughs> notice it. Yeah, yeah. And you have this brand new car, and it becomes this very dr- dreamish thing, and you have this you know, the grease lightning, this awesome grease looking car, lightning. and then at the very end, like the la- I love how the last shot it ends and then it cuts to like it's a jump cut and it's them back and they're in the same positions I thought that was really well done well that's the other thing I think the thing that struck me on this time around that I don't know if I've ever noticed before I mean because this time because we're watching it to do this to do the show and talk about it kind of analytically in a little bit how like really beautifully shot this movie is um, from like a technical standpoint the some of the compositions Oh, it's really and this movie are gorgeous, and it's it's great to think that you know you're you're framing this around a musical. You have to try to figure out get all the action in the frame. Well, yeah, and I'm not even talking about. I mean, obviously, yeah, the, the musical scenes yeah, and yeah. stuff, but just it's a beautifully shot movie. Yeah, uh, in a way, it's almost. I found myself wishing that movies were still shot like this. I like, know. Th- there's not like that much attention put into it. Just. Um, I mean, of course, it's it's very bright, and most of it takes place in the daytime and stuff. So it's a lot of natural lighting, but just the, you're talking about even like sh- shot compositions and like, yeah, you know, but the just foreground like, and background. You know, like I don't feel like the attention is uh, one thing that I, you know, f- my TV has a uh, like a fake 3D thing, my yeah. DVD, my Blu-ray player, and so you can obviously you watch a blue a blue like a 3D Blu-ray in 3D, but you can there's also like a 2D to 3D. I call it fake 3D. Yeah, it tries to. Where it'll kind of make it look 3D. The best movie I've ever watched in fake 3D on my TV is Grease. And what did you just it, it do looks, it for this? Uh, no, I did, it, yeah, I did it a couple years ago. I bought the Blu-ray, and I decided to watch it in fake 3D. Because <laughs> I was like, it would look cool with like the dancing and stuff. And I was absolutely right. It almost looks like it was made for 3D. It almost looks like a 3D Blu-ray. That's how great it looks. And I don't know if it's because it's so bright, and I, oh, oh, you know, or the colors, or what it is. But you know, so a lot of other movies kind of look like crap like that. But this one looks gorgeous. And I think probably one of the main uh, attributes that makes it look so great is the fact that depth is such a important part of the cinematography. There's always something in the foreground and the background. There's so much time put into making well-composed shots and, and kind of beautiful images that it, in a way, kind of lends itself to 3, 3D. And I wouldn't be surprised. We got in two years, like the 40th anniversary or whatever. Oh, they end up putting a 3D. They, they do a and 3D we have version. A freaking uh, Jim Cameron spent freaking 10 or $11 million dollars Turning Terminator Two into three D, which I cannot wait to see. For it's been a decade. They've been talking that they're going to make Dawn of the Dead was going to get a yeah three D transfer, be crazy. and I don't know if whatever happened to that. Um, but, maybe Romero just fell. Uh, about but it. so you were talking about Conway. Uh, he had such a you know he he's supposed to get that song. Travolta kind of strong arms him. He willingly says okay, but he completely regrets it now. Uh, well, during not now, that, yeah, unfortunately, he's he passed, passed away. away but. Uh, but later on in life, and he claims in that scene when they're doing this song, the guys uh, at one point prop him up on top of their shoulders, and at some point, maybe rehearsal or shooting, they f- dropped him. He hurt his back, and this is where he says the origins of he ended up having like a uh, a, a life of addiction through painkillers and other kind of hardships. Yeah. He had a big crush on Olivia Newton-John. He ended up marrying her sister, and then I don't know what came of that relationship, but. 
I feel like his life kind of fell apart because he was on that rehab show. Um, yeah, and the, yeah. Well, he know, got thrown. He was on Taxi. Yeah. And then I think he got thrown off a of Taxi because of addiction problems. Um, and just the and then his, his, and his, his yeah, and his his career kind of you know uh, went down the tubes, and then you know to the point where like two thousand seven, eight, nine, he was on this reality show, and then he ended up passing away in two thousand eleven. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how he, why, or not why, but I don't know how he passed away. So that's sad. Um, yeah, it is sad because he was one, you know, a, gr- a really good looking guy. Yeah. Two. Much like, like Jan Michael Vincent. Jeez. Two talented, you know, um, without these kinds of problems, you wonder what kind of career maybe he could have had. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, he's. I mean, John Travolta became a star and then fell off, and it wasn't until Pulp Fiction that John Travolta had a comeback. But um, to me, it doesn't, you know, if any, I mean, obviously John Travolta is the star of the movie, but if I was going to look at, like, which guy I thought would be, like, a huge star from this movie, even though it's not the lead, I would have thought Jeff Conway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's great in it. And like I said, he's just, he's a better looking guy than John Travolta. And I, yeah, I feel like. Travolta, like cleverly to his benefit, kind of forced his way in and you know made yeah. it about him. But it's and sadly, Conway played Danny Danny no. in on in Broadway. It, it's it's the ultimate hardship here. To, 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 you know, just the, no wonder why he had this problem with with addiction. I mean, just all these things. And it's sad that he ended up. You know, he ended up uh, dying in, at age sixteen uh, in twenty eleven. But he attributed that. The, the the start of all this was because why he was on because set this himself. accident. You know, which is kind of sad. Um, there, uh, let's see. The movie was rated, like we said, PG in, in 78, but then it became uh, PG-13 when they re-released it. I'm just trying to uh, hint all the little factoids yeah, yeah. here. They originally were going to, they were thinking of doing um, a sequel uh, for the film, and uh, that's why it was going to be something to do with summer school because I think um, somebody says at the end that maybe it could be Coach uh, they f- they Collins is like, I'll see you in summer school. They feels they failed Jim. Yeah, so he says, I'll see you in summer school. So that that's was the idea. Uh, that's when they're throwing the pies at Sid Caesar. And, and, and uh, they ended up, they were going to do uh, a sequel, but that f- kind of fell through, and they ended up doing Grease 2 with um, the uh, choreographer that they brought from the stage who choreographed this whole movie. Uh, to kind of keep it faithful to the stage version, she ended up going on a direct Grease 2, and I guess Grease 2 bombed. It cost $13 million to make, and it only grossed $15 million, so they considered it a failure. So that kind of... And a lot of people didn't come back to reprise roles. You had some of the yeah. older actors, like Sid Caesar, and those people come back. And, and Well, I mean, it's about a new class. Frenchie comes back because Frenchie dropped out of school yeah. to go to beauty school, and then was a beauty school dropout. Yeah. So I think Frenchie comes back, and to my recollection, it's been 20 years since I've seen it, uh, but it's like Michelle Pfeiffer. She's like part of the Pink Ladies now. And then Olivia Newton, Sandy's cousin, who's from Australia, comes. <coughs> so it's a little bit of a role reversal, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't do well, and it ended up also nixing they were going to do a TV show. Yeah. You know, I think they only, almost want to do a trilogy of films. I don't know. But uh, that reminds me of you said, um, you know, her being a beautiful school dropout. They, they make a note about the sterno pool, which is stenographers, because back in the 50s, women who didn't really have any skills, they would maybe learn how to type and then you yeah, become yeah. the stenographer pool and you could be picked up as a secretary. A couple of things that I want to hit before we wrap it up, which is one, the, the message that the end of the movie. Well, we haven't even talked about the plot yeah, and the yeah. plot is really weird. It's, it's, I think it's kind of adult. It, 
deals with a lot of adult themes going back to what we're talking about girls getting creamed and uh, gang bangs. So you're going to show this to your kids and think it's a great movie. These two people want to get together. But it's fascinating to find like um, uh, Rizzo really wants Travolta. I think she yeah, had a past kind of Travolta. That's the thing that gets, I think, you know, gets lost and, uh, as the movie goes on. But what's her face? It opens with them with the them uh, insinuating to that Rizzo they, that she thinks it's th- going to start that up. Danny and Rizzo had a relationship. Yeah, already. and she thinks that maybe it's going to start right back to where it was, maybe when they broke up from from junior year to senior year now. But then Olivia Newton John comes in, and then because of that, she gets mad and she kind of goes off with uh, what's his face, Kanicki. And then, but she's also kind of sticking it to. She's doing Sandy. it on purpose, though. Yeah, she, she's she, yeah, she's the giving Sandy a whole thing. a hard time. She's she's going off with Kinnicky on purpose, I think, to try to get Travolta jealous, which it doesn't happen. And then you have this whole like, uh, she, I got pregnant scare, which is funny. You know, I'm not funny, but I mean, like, <laughs> I, guess I don't know. I mean, how funny oh, it is, but funny in a sense of like, you know, that 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 it, all these antics to find out she's not pregnant. Yeah, yeah. You know, or the whole idea, like she said, like, you know, what are we gonna have a gangbang here? And it's it's yeah, you yeah. know, it's so. I find all that fascinating to have this kind of woven into this little plot as well. Well, that's the thing, you know. That's why. Yeah, him being controlled to being a douchebag to her, but it's like, I got to do that, baby, in front of my friends. Yeah, (laughs) you know, it's kind of, it's very universal. Uh, You know, even though it takes place in the 50s, there's a lot of. uh, Universal, like kid uh, problems. There's so much of it that we can, that I think. You know, for all of us that have been through high school, can identify with. Even though one, it was made in the seventies; two, it's about the fifties. There's so many other things about it that are so identifiable to all of us. I mean, they really are kind of universal themes in a lot of ways. And it's a fun movie. It, uh, like I said, the nostalgia is such a part of it as itself that it's hard not to get wrapped up into the nostalgia of it. Like I said, like the mo- the drive-in movies, the carnival, the s- having a sleepover. They're, they're going girls. to see horror movies that they've shown previously, the blob at the at the drive-in. You know, uh, dance. Uh, it's all very much, yeah, girls having a sleepover, doing their nails, talking about making out or whatever, and then, you know, <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. doing their hair, and then the guys, you know, shimmying down freaking, uh, you know, banisters to see the boys and you know all that it's all that kind of stuff you know you get in the beat up car and you're going to restore it it's a little it's racier than you would expect from a movie that has has, has been kind of heralded as like this family friendly movie it's definitely like we said it was it's a little bit racy but at the same time it's innocent in a lot of ways i mean sure i mean there's sexual connotations and stuff but really i mean how how like harmful is are is that is that i mean you don't really see anything it's it's all more implied yeah yeah oh yeah it's not really you know i mean you know it's the parts where they're getting in the back seat with the i condom. would honestly the movie i would love to see and that's because this says a lot oh about what happened where they are now like no well that i was gonna bring that up because of <laughs> because of our, our uh because of our breakfast club cast where we yeah. kind of we project like what they might be doing after this but i would i'm you know i'm a uh, I'm a romantic. Yeah. I, I for me, I would love to have. I wish, in a way, like I wish the movie was about Danny and Sandy at the beach before, like the summer. The summer loving part is something I would. And be it, it seems like a completely different, you know, uh, out of character for them because they're so much in love. He's not playing the tough. I mean, it's guy. such a classic, and it's you know, it, it, it a lot of uh, interesting things. Uh, we, we, 
again, we talk about, you know, we said like Rebel Without a Cause and, and then, you know, another trope that you see in this movie is at the end, they're, uh, they're going to do the, the, uh, the race. You have the duel, yeah, you know, yeah. and that's something you see from. You should, uh, I mean, somebody should intercut that with Terminator. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that's that was filmed. <laughs> that, yeah, that's <laughs> filmed like at a very famous. Uh, and, uh, uh, the Terminator and John Connor driving around on the motorcycle shooting at. That'll be hilarious because <laughs> the stock of film is so much uh, is so similar. Uh, they shot that for people in the Los Angeles area, the Los Angeles River uh, between. First and Seventh Street bridges, which I guess a lot of stuff is filmed as, like we just said, uh, Terminator Two. I think Chinatown might be shot. Tons of stuff is shot there, um, and other the other scenes since we're here is uh, the Venice. We were just talking about we did falling down two weeks ago. That at the end ends in Venice. They shot the uh, exteriors at the Venice High School in Venice, California, and then they sh- think they shot the. Uh, interiors, the Rydell interiors at Huntington Park High School, and then the other stuff was shot on a lot, like beauty school dropout and stuff like that. Um, the high school name, talking about throwbacks, is uh, Randall High is a reference to the Rydell. pop idol. Rydell is a is a reference to the pop idol Bobby Rydell, who se- sold a million selling hits with Swingin' School in 1960. Back then, uh, the blurring of the Coca-Cola signs, which I don't, I've never noticed before. I've never noticed it either. Yeah. Uh, so I heard two things. I heard one they had to deal with Pepsi, and yeah. that's why they blurred out the Coca-Cola signs. And I also heard an alternate story, which is they were going to make a deal. There was a deal in line with Coke, and then at the last minute it fell through. So that's why so there were so much Coke signs and stuff in the diner that then because that deal fell through, they had to, they decided that they needed to blur it I, or reshoot it. But reshooting was kind of out cost of the of, question because yeah. of, of the cost. I, I don't. I, and now that they the this this. The story is that there's a diner scene and they want it to look retro 50. So, of course, how do they set decorate it? They have a lot of Coke, vintage Coke advertising. There's a Coke cooler. There's a Coke signs. Uh, and evidently, Alan Carr maybe gets, uh, they say, gets a Pepsi. He's to endorse the movie. Now, knowing I think that. we see a Pepsi. There's a Pepsi logo in the in the in the animation in the beginning. Okay, because I was going to say I don't remember any Pepsi in, in the entire movie. I remember Coke more. So what happens is they shoot this scene and then they realize, shit, we have a Pepsi de- endorsement deal, but we have all this Coke product placement. So what do we do? They, like you said, they can't go back and reshoot it. So they go in and they have these traveling mats of blurry. And I don't, I've never noticed it before. Yeah, and I've never except, noticed it either. And so I've we, seen this movie at least 20 times. Yeah, and it's like when, you, when they walk through the diner, you could see there's a huge blur that's like, oh my God, how did I have not noticed it before? And the only thing they can't blur out end up is the big Coca-Cola cooler and they said they prayed that Pepsi wouldn't see it and I guess no one's ever complained. Yeah. So if you go look at that scene where they go into the diner, uh, there's, there's blurs everywhere in that place. It's so hilarious. That, like, there's like three or four things that they have like these traveling matte blurs. And, and this was like... Blatant. It's like in the background. Yeah, over but like we're the, also not talking about like the days of Avid here, or you know, oh, you mean like where cut. it's like you could do it digitally? Yeah. It's like they were. This just, is they had to like mat it in with <laughs> with optical printing. I mean, this was a there was some guy who was fucking cursing. Yeah, that's much <laughs> to me. I remember that story you hear about Scorsese doing the uh, what's that? Not the Last Picture Show, but the band the Last Waltz. Oh yeah, and evidently Waltz. there's that story where like Neil Young came out to do his portion, and he just like blew all these like an eight ball so he had like coke dried up in his nose here it's like way in his nose and he did the entire you know thing like that like coked out of his mind so they're like shit when they go develop the footage what are we gonna do what do we so scorsese tracks down like one of the oldest guys in the business who does special effects and this old man just matted out the he just drew black in every frame <laughs> in neil young's nose to get rid of like the coke residue <laughs> 
and uh, Scorsese paid him for that. The thing I was going to bring up is the end of the movie. Uh, now, yeah, anything you need to talk about before we get to the final scene? Uh, yes, there probably is, but I can't think of off the top of my head. There was the uh, a lot of the the they did they since they filmed this in the summer, a lot of uh, it was hot, so they said like. Um, it was 106 degrees in some of the scenes, and so some of the dancers passed out. They oh, yeah. Well, especially the dance scene is they're shooting it in a high school gymnasium. The only way they can shoot it is over the summer because school's out. Yep. But it, the high school but the high school wasn't air-conditioned. Yeah, because it's an old high school. So then things you have to realize. It's like much like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, which is like they have to bring in all these lights. Shut everything, close everything so you don't have any exterior light ha- in. Yeah, plus you have to close all the doors so you don't get any outside noise. Then you light everything. Then so you, you light everything with these, with these hot, hot these, lights. And they're, and they're on for, you know, 12, 14 hours a day. So you're in a un-air-conditioned uh, uh, gymnasium that's huge, as well as all the people in there, plus the lights. So it's going to be like 600 degrees, and we bring up Texas because yeah. in Texas there's that scene where they have... Uh, it's uh, like the dinner scene. What's her face? Uh, they have... Uh, uh, Bobby. And then what's her name? <laughs> Sally. 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 They have Sally at the table, and they're trying to She's get... She's the, the, And they sort of had to black out all the windows for that scene, and they had to light it. And because they were shooting on, a, on such a slow film stock, which meant you needed more light to get an exposure, they had to light the crap out of it. Yeah. And they were and inside so it this hot, hot so it was house. Like a, it was literally like a hundred and something, like twenty-five degrees outside. Yeah, like and so inside in it was, Texas, it was like scalding. And they say that was like it was so hot that they had to every two hours or three hours they had to change out the the meat or whatever on the table because it was going off and smelling so bad. Yeah. So by the end of it, they were trying to get the the grandpa with the sledgehammer to hit her over the back of the head into the bucket. And they said that at the end of it, they were in such a mad insanity you know heat induced rays they were like wanting her to them yeah, really, yeah like they, they got really got <laughs> they were like killer like lost really their mind re- during that scene. uh really 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 freaking killer and then they you know sadly you know they almost like they did um let's see what else do we need to talk about that they deleted a scene where they they get into a fight and it's very much um it's uh Kaniki and Rizzo get into a heated argument and there's a little fight and they said that the movie the scene didn't fit at all in the movie because it was very much like The Outsiders or Scorsese it was too serious and it didn't yeah. fit it was a great scene but it didn't fit in the movie so they cut that out um, and then I guess that's really all I feel like there's more but who knows we can't think of anything at the moment but so as we're doing this podcast um, my wife sends me a text and it just came out in the um the Daily Mail, and I think it's about what you're gonna what you're gonna uh, talk about. The final scene in the movie is that is that what this is? Oh no no. Okay, because this is brand new, so I'll have to put a link to <laughs> in the podcast. Uh, you know, in a couple of days when this publishes about this. So you, let's I wonder see the, what that theory is. Oh, you don't know it? Okay. I mean, I see the headline, but I don't yeah. know. Oh, you know what else I do want to bring up? It was National Bandstand, the TV show, uh, Eugene. Remember Eugene the Nerd? Mm-hmm. Do you remember him? I, I hadn't thought of that actor in probably 30 years, but I think this may be the earliest film he could have been in. And because of that, in the 80s, he ends up having this um, really big career. He's like on like Punky Brewster and he's on all those shows. You remember yeah, that? Yeah. And I had never, and he's like pre Paul Williams, Pee Wee Herman nerdy, that dude. And he, I, th- I think he did like a lot of voiceover work, but he was like a a nerd like archetype in yeah, the 80s yeah. and i completely forgot about that freaking guy so um 
I guess that's uh, what uh, that that may be all I, I got right now. I'm gonna you know randomly off the top of my head. Uh, okay, last scene of the movie. Last scene of the movie. So they're at the f- they're at the race. At the end of the race, Sandy says to Frenchie, "I need your help with something. Will you help me?" She says, "Yes." They run off, and then we get to the end of the school carnival. Yep. Sandy shows up, all made over. Yes, decked out like in black. Yeah, you know, sexy. They had to like. Uh, sew her into the pants. This is for bro. <laughs> so she, yeah, that was true. Uh, I always find it very funny that, like, really, like, the message of this is, like, if you really want to get your guy, you have to get slutty. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's interesting because that it, that there's a dual. Yeah, there, thing there, there is this thing where people think of it as being like this feminine state, fe- feminist statement. But, but really, she, like to me, it's but like, she's also learning how to smoke. There, she's actually she's changing her personality, becoming this fake person. But it's also something that Travolta does. He all of a sudden thinks to get her, he has to become like more preppy. Yeah. So he goes true. through this whole series of like trying to do stuff with Sid Caesar in the gym and all that. And at the end, he shows up to that scene in the like the in college cardigan, yeah, yeah, the le- the le- Letterman jacket because he's, he's. And then she flips the script, so to speak, and she comes all freaking. You know, I, I had my ass ass plowed an hour ago. I'm, <laughs> I'm now a slut. You know, look at me. She's smoking perfectly before yeah, she had yeah. no. You know, and it's like, yeah, you're right. It's like, oh my god, she's like stooped to his. She's like, I know what he wants. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it to him. So it's, yeah, it is weird that there is this uh, thing going on where it's like people think they have to change to impress them, but then at the end, are they just being themselves? Or Well, I don't know. Who were they? Like you say, the up, movie that we don't know that, that, that it on ends the beach. Up, it ends up working. On the Malibu on her, beach. He and She ends up locking him down. So it's like how... In this, in this slutty attire. Yeah, so I don't know how, uh, you know, I... I think the more interesting movie would be what happened on that Malibu beach, you know, from they shot well, here from eternity. He was much more innocent. Yeah. Oh yeah. He purports to be a lot more than you think in actuality. He really is. He, of course he's not. Yeah, Cause clearly she was just being Sandy. On yeah. The beach. And apparently he was being the real Danny, which is different than the Danny we see. In so it is. I, I don't think that means he's trying to score with her or trying to get points and that. Kind no, of no. Sense. He seemed like it was probably very innocent. Ge- it was genuine, you know, and that's, I think a lot of these, and it goes back to us talking about what movie was that where it's, uh, the warriors where like a lot of, they, they, they purport to be, these bigger guys, but they're but they're faking a lot of it. A lot of them, they don't, they're just you know they're guessing as they go along by the seat of their pants. They say, "Yeah, I've been to, around the world. I've been to third base. I've been all the way with you know Joe Blow." But actually, they're not. And this is, you know, then it shows like when you know Danny gets to school and he meets her, and he's like, "What is he like, Sandy?" <laughs> I mean, uh, no, up your nose with rubber hose, bitch. <laughs> you know? And you then know? so I always thought that was a very odd statement that. I, I never really put in the context that he's changing himself to be more like her and she's also changing herself to be more like him because it's like it really it's like the last statement of the movie is she gets all slutty or whatever and then that's how she ends up you know locking down Danny yeah I mean he just she just throws it at him and, and he's then, like, here. which I think plays into whatever this article that you just got this text about is that then you have this weird moment where they they, they when they have the little sing when they sing you're the one that I want and then it's like summer's gonna be great we're gonna be friends forever blah 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 and then there's a dance number and then they get into the dream car yes. of Grease Lightning yep. not Jeff Conway's car but the one from the Grease Lightning uh, the music montage you know, or montage. sequence and then Danny and Sandy end up 
taking off and flying away. And it's car. weird because you can't. Re- you're you're kind of like if you're not if you're like into it, like uh, you know, you're singing and dancing along. It's like you don't really first notice this. And I said to when I'm watching, I was like, wait a minute, are they? Did they take off? Yeah, because they even like yeah, and then they're looking back. <laughs> they kind of jolt like, and then they look know, at each other like whoa. And you know, it's funny. We always talk about coverage, and it's this thing where they shot that whole end sequence with this traveling carnival in this uh, in this football field on the day. Then the next day, they realize shit. We need coverage close-ups of uh, Olivia Newton and John Travolta, and they didn't have the carnival since cleared up and vanished as carnies do. Yeah, yeah. So they had to go back and like reconstruct stuff just to get. So I think there's the when they're going around like the um, the slide area, they're like in the funhouse bit. You could tell they cut to these close-ups that look kind of they don't yeah. exactly fit. And I think that these were these close-ups. But there's this whole uh, and so the, the mystery of what does it mean that they're taking off in this. So. Uh, I got a text from my wife on this article from the Daily Mail, and evidently, it t- t- to quote the uh, the actual headline of it, it says, Greece fans go into meltdown over bizarre theory that Sandy is dead all along, and the final scene is her flying into heaven with, uh, with Danny. Sa- theory is that Sandy is dead all along, uh-huh. and th- the final scene is her flying into heaven with Danny. Now, this is very much brings you to like a movie, Carnival of Souls. <laughs> Now, if you don't if you don't know Carnival Souls, I don't want to spoil it for you. But the beginning of the movie is that these girls are in a car and they end up, you know, you think they're drowning. She comes out alive and she has this whole bizarre thing until the end of the movie that she starts seeing dead people. This movie, they're saying that there is this theory that uh, now I guess this is a conspiracy theory you can call it that is fairly recent that says that at the beginning of the movie when they're in the Malibu Beach, there there is could be a a, a clue or there could be a shot that looks like she may be drowning. And because of that, or maybe she's flailing around in the water well, or something. Me- there's mention of it in the song "Summer Lovin'." I'm gonna. I'll quote this. It says, uh, uh, "Quote this. This. This is Daily Mail. This. This brand new. Uh, as we're doing this, uh, a fan theory that is spreading around across the web like wildfire may change the way Grease fans watch the cult film forever." According to Reddit user Atomic Bolt, hidden clues throughout the 1978 music, uh, musical, including the opening and closing scenes and song lyrics reveal the devastating truth of the 50s love story that Sandy is dead and instead of going off into the sunset with her soulmate uh, uh, Danny Zuko the clean cut Aussie student is actually ascending into heaven uh, in a post from 2013 that has resurfaced on social media Atomic Bolt highlighted the last scene where Danny and uh, Sandy leave their school carnival and into uh, into a red convertible but rather uh, then simply drive away they they defy the law of gravity and go up to heaven and then uh you know how can the car fly and at the beginning of the film they're at the beach later they say danny explains through song that when they when uh they first met danny he saved her life she nearly drowned a a fan theory and it says uh sandy actually did drown on the beach that day that's the thing so they think that she might have drowned at the beach and this hallucination she's having until she dies much like Jacob's Ladder and all these other movies, spoiler, uh-huh. is that she could be having this all <laughs> on the tube, and that's alluding to this Carnival This is like her Souls. minutes of, of This is death. her last minute of life. She's having this whole, and that is amazing. I think this is, high, uh, th- yeah, that she's having that, and that, that, that gives you all the musical, why it's a musical, why there's these, uh, you know, the, the grease lightning, the things are changing, why she's able to so easily come in for the first day of school of being an Aussie. At the end of the movie, this whole thing, she turns into this 
idealistic person for her, the cool slut. And then at the end, they fly up in this car and they descend into heaven. Uh, so they're saying that the entire movie is this drowning woman's coma fantasy. Hmm. So uh, that's pretty amazing. I don't know. I don't want to keep going on, but I'll, I'll, I will. We can link this, and you can look for yourself. And uh, it's just an interesting theory to think that you know maybe this is all a dream, and that she's you know while she's drowning and while that while she still has oxygen in her brain, she's having this little fantasy of of me of of I guess getting John Travolta because mm-hmm. she meets him. So that's that's interesting. that's interesting. So you know what? Fascinating. Why don't you uh, tweet us or or or? or, or email us or message us and let us know what you think you think that's a bunch of pile of poops or what <laughs> um so the movie ends up coming out uh we can get going Ju- uh, june the 16th 78 uh an opening weekend it grosses eight million just about nine million dollars on uh, 862 theaters in the united states and canada it's ranked number two behind jaws 2 uh and then it goes on to gross domestically uh, one hundred eighty-eight million seven hundred fifty-five thousand six hundred ninety dollars, and then internationally ends up doing two hundred six million two hundred thousand dollars, totaling it to be three hundred ninety-four million nine hundred fifty-five thousand six hundred ninety dollars <laughs> worldwide. And like you said, it is the highest-grossing musical to date, and um, uh, a whole bunch of stuff was nominated for Golden Globes, Best Picture, Best Actor for Musical Comedy, Best Actress for a Musical Comedy, Best Original Song. And then we said that um, it was also nominated for uh, Oscar for Hopeless Devoted to You. And uh, we have the second movie coming out in 82, maybe. And that kind of flopped. And then with the release in uh, June... 23rd 1998 when they put it back into theaters in the 20th anniversary people get a little um miffed because they cgi out all the cigarettes in the promos so people are like what the hell are you going to cgi out everything and they're like no 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 sorry we just did it for the trailer so it's a g-rated trailer so people won't be upset up in arms and then also in the in, they end up coming out with a 2010 sing-along they they digitally remove the coca-cola blurs so you don't even have to worry about that blurry image anymore uh, in there, I guess that was really like miffed them for that for so many years. And like we said, when they when they re-release it in 2010, they end up upgrading it from PG to PG-13 due to quote sexual content content including references, teen smoking, drinking, and language. Also, uh, AFI lists. It's number 97 on AFI's 100 Years, 100 Passions, which is like a romantic list, yep. romantic movie list. It's uh, Number 70 for 100 uh, best songs. AFI's list, 100 years, 100 songs for Summer Nights. And AFI's greatest movie musicals hits number 20. It's number 21 on Entertainment Weekly's list of 50 best high school movies. Uh, And Empire Magazine uh, has it as one of the 500 greatest movies of all time. Um, As we were saying, Grease 2 comes out in 82. We have... uh, uh, Dottie Goodman, Sid Caesar, Eddie Deezer, Dee Dee Condi, Dennis Stewart, and Eve Arden reprise their respective roles. And they bring Dick Patterson to the mix. We all live or love ourselves a little Dick Patterson. And the original choreographer, Patricia Birch, who I think we should give credit for doing the original stage version and doing the phenomenal uh, sequences in the original Greece. She goes on to direct it, and it kind of flops, so they scrap doing a TV show. 
But as you would have it in Venezuela in 2009, as you do, the series is produced and premiered there, and it, it goes on to ex- explore and explain the characters and stories of the film. So it was that popular that Venezuela said, screw it, we're going to give it its own show 20, 25 or 30 years removed in uh, 2009, August the 17th, 2009. And then when it's, the original movie was released in 78, uh, in Spain and Latin America, it's released as Britannia, uh, because its English title translated as fat in Spanish, grasa, Greece. And uh, it is also released as uh, Valencia in Mexico. So that's the, like Vaselina. Yeah, Vaselina, Valencia, so in, in Mexico when it came out. So, um, and then the principal dancers who all end up showing up in all the different sequences, they all have their, they ended up having little cool names like Sauce, Bart, Bubba, uh, Bench, Moose. Um, I also think it's worth mentioning that uh, Randall Kleiser, who directed it, um, yeah. also directed Flight of the Navigator. And so he is actually a, yeah, he's an he, alumni. He's a Saturday Night Movie Sleepover's you know. alum. He also directed Big Top Pee Wee, Honey, I Blew Up, Blew Up the Kid. That's like the sequel. Yeah. And uh, Alan Carr didn't actually produce that many movies. Just a handful. But one of the movies he did produce was 1984's Cloak and Dagger. That's another movie we'll definitely get to here. And it's, it is worth it to know that this movie came out May 26, 1978. The budget was only $6 million, And like we said, it ended up grossing $395 million. So I can say that's a pretty good uh, thing that they end up coming up with. They're like a good profit. Yeah. Uh, I do... I do think the like we were talking about earlier on the social structure in the movie is really interesting that and does as if you want to start thinking about this conspiracy theory that this is all a dream it does kind of highlight the larger than life aspects of certain things like you know they have the bonfire night and you know they're 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 things on fire they're having a noose hanging they're going to go kill these people and just <laughs> yeah. you know all the different things they're do, they're doing like that the pep rally and all this stuff and then they they have the different you know they go to the theater like you said then they have the dance off and so it's it's all interesting, and it does take place in 1958. So it is, it, and then there's such nostalgia for it. And also another movie, which is um, almost 10 years removed from this, you have a movie from I think 87, Dirty Dancing, mm-hmm. and Dirty Dancing takes place I think in the 60s up at the Poconos, yeah, or the, no, the Catskills, yeah, Catskills, and. That's a movie that's period, has all period music into it until the very end when they have to dance together. Then you have that modern no, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, there so that's be another, there might be one or two other, other modern songs modern that are in there. In so I find it like we were saying, like Greece is the, Greece is the word uh, that you, you said that um, uh, Bab- Frankie Valley's song, which yeah. I thought it was Gib for some reason. Uh, that you know, that's a modern song in the in the seventies fi- or fifties yeah, film, yeah. and this is and Dirty Dancing also does it too. So sometimes you do get well, these, I think, and even I'm not, I could be mistaken, but I also think the male singer in that one, in what might in, be one, then the Dirty Dancing song might be one of the Righteous Brothers. Oh, you might be right. Which yeah. is another kind of it's a modern song with a little homage uh, to the time to, period. To the sixties yeah, at the time when those were big, the Righteous Brothers and all that. So. Uh, and and that's another movie that's gone down in the annals of history of being freaking huge with women and musicals. Oh, yeah. Dirty Dancing. I mean, dancing. this is a. I know. would I would guess that this is a Greece is a is a is a is a chick sleepover. This movie. is a chick flick. If you've ever had a, ch- I was going to say it's a girl's wet dream. This is a chick <laughs> flick. Make, this movie will make them cream. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, uh, and, and then that's. <laughs> hey, we're just quoting the movie, ladies and gentlemen. 
Uh, this movie literally, women. It's it's up there with Labyrinth. It's up there with freaking you know, like we said, Dirty Dancing. It's all these these. This is another uh, uh, a guaranteed. Let's watch Grease. Let's watch Hollywood Nights. Let's watch Grease Two. Pajama you know? party. Uh, yeah. There's even a pajama party in the movie for Christ's sake. Exactly, and they're singing and dancing and that thing too. Figure they're it out. Drinking dessert wine. Yeah, uh, yeah. Piercing they hit away. Ears. Oh Jesus! Without any kind of stuff, <laughs> it's, it's so funny. Uh, so what? So what do you give? I mean, I you know, I'm a big fan of this movie. Have been for a very long time. So I, I'd have to give it four buckets of pizza. Out of five. Out of five. I think it's a fun movie. Um, you could certainly chow down on a lot of pizza from a bucket in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's yeah. a lot of pizza. <laughs> We've determined that even if you gave it like one or two bu- out of four, a That's bucket a of pa- pizza. I'm not talking about a pail. You're talking about a bucket. Bucket of pizza. Like, not a garbage bucket, but like a bucket. <laughs> like, a, you know, like a six inches deep. No, I mean, I think, this is, I, think it's, I think it fits the nostalgia sleepover thing right on the head. You know, it's... It's a lot of fun. It's uh, I don't I don't think it's perfect. Yeah, I think it's great. I think I give I mean, it perfect as a, as like a fun nostalgic. Oh, it hits it hit. I think it accomplishes all at once. You know, I mean, the the thing I do find interesting about it is there are little more racier aspects about it that yeah, like kind of yeah. slip by when you start reading the context. I'd love to see. I mean, you know, they don't have one, but it'd be cool to see how the original version. Or if you were to go, like I know. Uh, my wife has seen this uh, when it was on a because this had a big road show for sure. years here, and I, I would love to see the road show to see if it is based more, more on the or I now think it's probably more co opted from the of the film. Yes, my guess because that'd be cool to see the original version of it and see you know the differences yeah, between yeah. that the nuances you know that I think there could be even an audience for it if you build it that way. Yeah. You know, hey, let's see the reason originally how it was conceived in '71 with like you know knife fights, and yeah. Shit in um, <laughs> The version we watched was the like rocking Rendell High version or whatever it was from like mm-hmm. 2006 or, and there's special features on it and one of the special features I do have to, 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 to give a nod off about is they it's like the reunion in 2098 of, of everybody on they do a big like uh, uh, red carpet walk they go in and then they all sing songs and it's like it would have been amazing to be there that night but uh, one of the special features is while they're on the red carpet, they're like uh, an interview with uh, Olivia Newton-John and John Travolta, and it's just them, like you know, some guy in the carpet talks to him for like five or ten minutes. Now, which is hilarious, if anybody has this DVD, go watch this interview because what's going on is you have um, the two of them in the foreground on the red carpet talking. In the background, there's people like lining up to try to get in, and in between the two of them, in walks what's his name? Is it Kirkwood Smith? From uh, that 70s show, Robocop, uh, Star Trek VI, uh, you know, plays Clarence Boddicker. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He walks in, and uh, so this must be maybe 2002 this might have happened because, you know, they have his shows on. And he gets kind of stuck in the line. He's like, what the hell's going on? He's just looking around. <laughs> and it's almost like it's done on purpose. Like you think that, you know, this is like a comedy because he's, and he's getting, and he starts, he's talking, starts talking to, what's her face, uh, Dee Dee. Um, he's asking her and she's saying stuff and he's looking to come on and he says something to his wife who looks like his wife and he's looking around and he's like oh. then he looks over to like the camera he's like what are they doing over there and he's like oh they're doing something oh come on is that the two of them and, and it's hilarious so if you go watch it's like a four minute thing you can see uh, you know he's just really irritated and then he realizes what's going on and then they start eventually letting people in and he's like oh okay then be alright but I thought that was really funny so yeah, this is a, this was a really good move. Great, great back to school sums up the summer. You know, we had a real heavy summer with cruising and there falling was, down. We came close to doing it at the end of the at the end of the at the beginning of the summer, end of the school year last yeah, year. Yeah. We had discussed it, 
and then we ended up holding on to it to do it as a and it's a great, it, it's, you know, it's a great girls movie. We've been throwing some ones out for the girls this year with Labyrinth, and we did another movie which I, th- I feel that escapes me now as a girl. We movie. tried to do. We we said the Breakfast Club, but that's not as much a specifically a girls movie as this or yeah, again yeah. Labyrinth. Had we done like Sixteen Candles, yeah, that or something like more. that, or Girls Want to Have Fun, or something crazy, yeah, you know. Which so we'll get to it. Yeah, I mean, we got sure. a lot of movies. So many movies, so many podcasts, so little time. So uh, yeah, we're going into the fall. So uh, are you sleepover stars? Oh, I, I four. Four sleepover stars. You agreed with yeah, 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 yeah. Buckets of pizza. <laughs> yeah, four, four to four and a half. I mean, because it, it's it's great. It's 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 not only is it a good movie, and like you're saying, just the, the technical aspects of it. I think the songs are great. They hold up. I mean, hell, it has a lasting value. I mean, I even mean, you know karaoke classics at this point. I know that's what I'm saying. It's like you know you you can say to someone just like Grease Lightning, and then it's like <laughs> it's going to cue start going. And I mean, even you only it's not like you have one. You have a, a it's not just like you know yeah, yeah. ease down down the road and that's it. You yeah. have like four or five solid karaoke songs because I mean even they necessitated a, a sing along in 2010. They came out with a sing along version. You know, I think so, maybe even in like the Blu-ray. For some reason, I feel like the Blu-ray might have like a function where you you can watch it when they'll they'll bring up the lyrics with the a little slides. bouncing so you ball. Have your, you have your own you know, It's another Scorsese reference because that's what he did on the Woodstock movie. He invented the bouncing ball on the Woodstock movie. I don't know why we keep referencing Scorsese <laughs> podcast. So yeah, I think it com- it accomplishes completely what it wants. As I said, I'm a huge romantic for this time, the '50s. I think it's great. Um, if we were going to do recommend movie recommendations, I'd recommend people to go see Rebel Without a Cause if you haven't seen oh, Rebel yeah, Without sure. a Cause because that is basically the um, the teen angst mixed up with the the social uh, drama what was going on back then, and it's like the serious version of this film where they do have the uh, the race, you know, and that's like a dead man's creed. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you that tr- movie. Tr- tr- uh, there was one day two years ago. Yeah. I woke up kind of early and I just went into the living room and I turned on the TV and it was on Turner Classic almost from the beginning. Yeah. And uh, I watched it. I hadn't seen it since maybe high school. Yeah. And it was shockingly good. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, everybody's... So good, in fact, that there's a song on my CD. The CD's called When You Coming Home. Your CD, the one you did. The one yeah, I yeah, did. Yeah. Called, there's a song on there that I wrote called A Song for Judy. Oh. And I wrote that after I watched Rebel Without a Cause. And Judy is Natalie Wood's character. Poor Natalie Wood in that movie. So that movie inspired wow. a Jay Blake original on the album When You Coming Home. And, and you can get that on, what is that available on Amazon? You can get it on iTunes. Yeah. Amazon okay. downloads. Check all that out. And you have a Twitter page, your, your Jay Blake Twitter page. Jay Blake Blues. Yeah, has all that stuff. The, uh, and then there's the Jay Blake Blues Band Facebook page. Yeah, where you do uh, you play around the New York City area. Uh, but that, I mean, that is a, to me is a great movie, and it was very groundbreaking at the time when it came out. Yeah, it talked I love, about I, watching it again. I mean, just for me, I, I, I again am in love with that time era, but I love also the Warner Brothers '50s stock they shot on, very much like Forbidden Planet, and yeah. just that widescreen. So the scenes, if you you got to watch it widescreen with those like those bright reds and all that and they shot it in LA area so there's scenes at Griffith Observatory in it and then they have all the the stuff going on with uh, uh, Jim Backus is his father in it Um, you have a great Dennis Hopper shows up as one of the punks you you said you had Natalie Wood we have Sal Mineo we have the great James Dean Uh, it really shows you why James Dean only doing three movies is still an icon to this day and it's and it, it was it's 
it's interesting the social social topics because it's a lot of the angst that we're talking about that people have now back then when oh, you're totally you know I mean, it's, it's like blackboard jungle these movies of of even the john hughes movies yeah you know, of having these hey, but they're a little this is a little more serious it's a little more you know, serious but a lot like of what's the, going on that the, the, the a lot, lot of the, the themes are similar the, they're just treated in a lighter way in the uh, and we talk about that a little bit in the warriors where you know a lot of the you know um people you know they were calling these kids like social misfits i forget what you rejects the one you know that that were then they were blaming ec comics for that or they were blaming all these different things that were causing these guys to be del juvenile delinquents and that's where you get the outsiders or you know that was then this or now and all those kind of books so yeah uh that would what i because it i hadn't seen that i haven't seen rebel without a cause and i've probably gone on like 10 or 15 years so it's it's so interesting when we're watching this you see all these similarities because i knew that movie yeah. pretty well so um it's interesting. So yeah, I I I I thought this movie was great, Grease, and it it even makes me want to go watch the second one or, or Hollywood Nights. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, you know. But it does want, make me want to go rewatch the, the 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 special, which I don't think they even release on DVDs. The one they did last year, the musical. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I don't think that's even available. It probably will be eventually. Not, they're yeah. gonna realize they can make money off of us. So um, two weeks from now is a very very important date. A very special episode. It's a very it's it's the bike of the back it's the back of the bike shop episode <laughs> for us. Where we're gonna get molested by the dude. Oh, are you trying to be looking at our bike? Or it's gonna be where we're we're going in the back to watch the Doobie Bullers concert, <laughs> and we're gonna bootleg. That yeah, shit. We're in, and reruns with us, and he has a da a Nagra player that he's gonna try to, <laughs> and then he's gonna drop that shit, and everyone's gonna look, and the band Doobie Brothers is gonna stop, like, what's going on? That's how serious. Or it's the episode. <laughs> It's the episode of like, uh, yeah, you're running for the pickup truck. You know, it's the episode of the uh, Punky Brewster where Margot gets freaking stuck in the in the fridge because the guy didn't take the fridge door off and she almost died. I mean, oh this God. is going to be a serious episode. Door. Take your fridge doors that off. Goddamn <laughs> fridge door. Uh, because this is going to be our two-year anniversary. Two years. Now, last year, for all those who uh, have forgotten, <laughs> we um, had to have our stomachs pumped. <laughs> <laughs> because we did an epic Batman 1989 Tim Burton podcast that was like, went on like, what, six, seven hours long? Uh, yeah, long it, was, it was an all-nighter. And we ended up uh, in the middle of that. We, Blake had surprised me with an original still-sealed 20... I don't know what that is now. 25-year-old bottle of... Uh, a bottle, box. box of Batman cereal that we opened uh, mid-recording, live to tape, and we started eating. <laughs> And then we kept eating it, and we kept eating it for some reason. And as we were saying that, we thought that it, it, the food it is disintegrated in the plastic bottle, at, at the, the plastic it the plastic to, bag it was in. starting to disintegrate into the food. We kept eating it, and and then we also it got so bad that after that night, we both consulted each other, and we realized that we had to put a disclaimer on at that part of the podcast that we yeah, don't want anyone to we don't, we don't, don't recommend this, that. and you shouldn't do it. But because that's we, what happened to that was last year's podcast. I was just on the F This Movie podcast. Yeah, yeah, you were. And we were talking, and I was plugging that we have the two-year anniversary come up, and I was telling him that we did that. And he was like, how are you going to top it? And it didn't even occur to me that we needed to top it. <laughs> well, <laughs> that we should try to top yeah. it. Well, you know what we're going to do? I we're said that we might get matching tattoos on the podcast. Well, we're going to get, yeah, we're going to play Russian roulette. It'll be like Johnny Ace. <laughs> we're going to play Russian, especially the 50s. We're going to play Russian roulette on the podcast. We're going to do, we're gonna yeah. do Deer Hunter, yeah. and we're going to play Russian roulette yeah. Tiki Mao, three bullets, three <laughs> bullets. Tiki Mao, Mao. Tiki Mao. Okay, but um, point is, two years ago, 
we started this whole thing off with the 1989-90 movie The Punisher starring Dolph Lundgren. Uh, little known fact, Marvel's first freaking, uh, you know, uh, theatrically released in some countries <laughs> that was their first foray foray into non-television to feature films mm-hmm. punisher next last year we did batman we did 1989's batman tim burton's batman and that was an epic uh-huh. two weeks from now we got another one coming out we got another we got another anniversary yeah and um i, I don't i don't know if we should give any more clues than that but We've cut, we've we've hidden we sprinkled clues in there, <laughs> as well as it's interesting that the that movie trajectory. Yeah, the movie we chose to do, people have actually brought it up recently, once or twice. To why don't you guys go and do that movie? There's actually a lot of movies we could do. There's a ton of movies we could do. It's, a, it's amazing. I know, but there's a, oh. it's amazing how that time period yeah. that we're talking about exploring so we're living this is a big cliffhanger right now so you guys need to come back in two weeks and see what I we're gonna do disappointment i hope it's not a disappointment but i think oh, it, oh god damn yeah, i waited Jesus two weeks for this this is bullshit <laughs> we thought you were gonna do grease too or, da- or dirty dancing <laughs> come on christ sakes but uh come back in two weeks it's gonna be fun we're gonna do i don't know if it's gonna be as epic if we can ever top the batman you know batman because we, uh, we gotta find pl- products and uh, yeah, jesus you know we don't want to die again uh like the, like sandy here <laughs> this the last yeah the last year of the podcast yeah. has been one carnival co- of souls co- <laughs> dream between yeah. the two of as we're, as, we're <laughs> as the carbon oxide is killing us in the garage so this the last two years the last year of podcast actually hasn't happened yet yeah but come celebrate the the this two-year anniversary with us because we're going to do a, a movie near and dear to our hearts and as we've been alluding to near and dear to a lot of our listeners hearts which is going to be really cool so it's going to be a surprise well, summer's and over back to school yeah summer's gone happy school. september everyone yeah uh fall's going to send it's going to be a glorious fall glorious autumn we've got a great lineup um everyone don't be bummed you know, uh, Halloween just around the corner. Thanksgiving just around the corner. Yeah, Christmas is around the corner. We're gonna do for Thanksgiving this year. Yeah, I feel like the Thanksgiving cast movies is, is, is getting slim pickings already. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna. Have to, and then we have our our, our October horror, uh, yeah, and that's gonna be. We a, have time to pull off October horror. Yeah, let's do do one a week. We go to a weekly podcast. I know this time of the year gets very tough because. They're all themed. Yeah, as well this as this time of the year. Yeah, we get all we do. We do horror, horror movies in October. Things, yeah, then we do a Thanksgiving and movie. Then we do and Christmas. December's all and Christmas then, then movies. There's even like we can do a New Year's, and then as do well as our day New jobs. Year's evil. This is uh, one of the busiest times in my. Uh, I work in television news, so yeah, yeah. Uh, we have an election coming up, so that's going to monopolize all my time. And you're an editor in, in cable news or and, cable uh, television. I mean, and, you know, just. So promoting the book takes uh, up time, and you have a book that just came out, and you were just you traveling the world, uh, signing at different conferences, and so you, you're doing that, and uh, uh, you know, so you've got that coming. So we have busy. a lot, we've got busy, a lot going busy, on. Busy, busy. So check us out in two weeks. Uh, I think we, th- we we're going to go on a lark, saying we think you're going to like what we're doing, and certainly um, you could probably two find two bigger fans than us for this movie, but you know, we're we're fans of the movie, and uh, we we th- one, and we don't movie. think it has gotten its due. And it's right up there with a lot of the other movies we've done in the past. There's a couple big tent poles, which if I told you that we've done already, it'll give away what we're doing, so we can. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, Batman and Punisher were enough of a clue. <laughs> Batman and Punisher were, yeah, were yeah. a good clue. Yeah. And we did Trial of the Incredible Hulk. We're still trying to push that one. Yeah. You know, check that out. That, that one is... The first Daredevil and Kingpin premiere, you know, with Bill Bixby. Come on, TV Live movie? action. First appearance of Daredevil in live action. Yeah. You know, don't God you want to know it. about it? Christ <laughs> sakes. 
Yeah. Uh, Everybody loves this Kingpin. Daredevil. Kingpin. You know? It's freaking Solomon. What's his face? Indeed. Bad dates. <laughs> uh, from Lord of the Rings. You were named after the dog. We had a lot of good times with that dog. Indiana. Okay. Check us out on Twitter. Check us out on Facebook. Check us out on our own uh, site. Check out stuff. Because we got stuff going down. Check out the book Scored to Death. Conversations with some of horror's greatest composers. Available on Amazon and everywhere books are sold. And check out your Blue CD since we're there. Since we're check out Blue CD song. Since we're selling stuff. Song for Judy. Yep. Written and inspired by Rebel. Rebel.com. Yeah. And check us out in two weeks. Because we're going to be coming right back at you. <laughs> Later.